You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Hello everybody and welcome once again to the Oz Network, the film arm of the Oz Network as we continue on with our tribute to the late, great George Romero as we move on to the next film of the Living Dead series entitled Dawn of the Dead, 1978 version of the film, a year in which, of course, the fantastically awesome great Prime Minister of Australia was Malcolm Fraser, the fantastically awesome great Prime Minister of Canada was Pierre Trudeau, the fantastically great President of the United States was Jimmy Carter, and, of course, many people (laughs) often remember 1978 for the fantastic year that was the Icelandic election when the great Geir Halgamesson beat Alufa Johansson in the election that year. What a year that oh, was. Just Him or Jimmy Carter yeah, is tough to call. Yes, <laughs> very much so. And, of course, after Halgamesson won the election, he was soon then disposed by Alufa Johansson uh, once again. They kind of had a weird battle. I don't know what happened there. I'm just reading Wikipedia. Uh, probably They're be... all relevant to this movie. Exactly, exactly. I don't know why I went with that. I just felt like trying to be smart. Because uh, I learned how to use Wikipedia overnight. Uh, my name is Ben, and what is this, a police show or a football game? And my name is Colin, and wake up, sucker. We're thieves, and we're bad guys, and that's exactly what we are. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, well, this is Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> this is a very interesting film, to say the least. And, uh, yeah, we're continuing on, obviously. Sadly, George Romero passed away recently, so we thought we would... Uh, do three of his most well-known movies. Obviously, we did Night of the Living Dead a couple of weeks ago, and here we are in the middle of it, Dawn of the Dead, the 1978 version of it. And um, let's just say, I'd never seen this movie, ever. I've never seen any of these movies coming into these recaps. So uh, it's been very interesting to watch these. And um, I had no expectations going into this after we watched Night of the Living Dead. I was kind of like, oh, okay. It's like, what, 10 years later, it's color um you know maybe a bit more better special effects and it was just it was a fascinating film to watch i literally had my dad walk past uh the room at one point go what on earth are you watching (laughs) but yeah i i actually i actually enjoyed it i have to say though at the end of it it's a very different movie and i've seen this once i mentioned that i had seen night of the living dead um, and then a few years later, I found both Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead in a bargain bin. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll grab these. I'm, it's cheaper than renting it. Why not? So that was the first and only time I ever watched this. And I remember liking it at the time. Um, having said that, 10 years later, I remembered almost nothing about this movie. I mean, so much that it's probably 45 minutes of the movie before I remember anything even happening. Uh, but it always struck me that this movie was very different from the original. It's a completely different tone. Uh, the one thing I will say is, even though I remember nothing about the story, I remembered the tone and the feel of the movie and the kind of weird balance between humor and gore uh, very vividly. So, so some things about this movie really do stick with you, and it's definitely a lot more fun than Night of the Living Dead. Oh, for sure. And, like, one thing that um, I definitely kind of went into this, particularly the beginning of it, which we'll obviously get into a second, is, like, the way this movie starts, I was so confused. I had no idea what was going on. And I'm kind of thinking, like, have I missed something here? Have I got, like, some weird version of this film where I've, like, missed something <laughs> completely? Because it probably took me a good, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to finally kind of settle down and go, oh, okay, I think I see what's going on here. Uh, it's kind of made me, like, not quite to the extent of our, our Dunkirk one, available now, of course, via the Oz Network, um, you know, where you kind of, at a certain point of the movie, hits you and it's like, oh, I get it. 
this one it was just like uh, yeah. what what who's doing it? i'm like oh okay i i understand but yeah and like you were saying the, the tone of it like so much of this film like i mean is this meant to be a comedy like i mean it just well feels sometimes this is meant to be a comedy yeah i mean it's interesting you say that because we talked about two weeks ago when we did night of the living dead when i was kind of going off on all the people who read into Night of the Living Dead as this social political commentary, and I brought up the fact that George Romero originally wanted to make a zombie comedy. Right. And eventually somebody said, no, go with a horror film instead. It almost feels like 10 years later, he's like, let me kind of combine my two ideas. Let's let's make it kind of a scary, really gory, graphic horror movie, but let's bring some of those comedy elements into it that he originally envisioned. So... I, I would probably guess, yes, he did want this to be a bit of a comedy. Well, it certainly shows in, in some of this. But, um, yeah, it, it and definitely an interesting film. And one thing that I will say, too, is I think you and I were sort of talking about this in the lead-up to um, recording this to make sure we both had, like, the same version of the film. And I think I kind of established that I had a version that was, like, about 12 minutes longer than yours. I don't know if you found mm-hmm. a longer version. So there might be bits in this movie where I'm, like, talking to you and going, like, oh, clearly you had an extended cut because I didn't have that scene. So yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm sure, sure what we'll scenes I saw that you didn't see. <laughs> well, I'm interested to see what was confusing about the beginning because uh, from where mine started... <laughs> basically the news talking about what happened in the first movie well it's kind of that bit yeah but maybe i'm just dumb and i don't understand (laughs) (laughs) you're like ben was confused oh my god that must be the weird part i'm like i'm gonna tell you exactly it's like ben that's not confusing (laughs) when you watch dunkirk in between two living dead movies your mind is just wiped from the previous film (laughs) oh yes yes indeed but um yeah we'll, we'll get straight into it uh i mean we start Basically, does your start off on like a weird carpet wall with a woman sitting in the corner? <laughs> it's basically a woman having what looks like a dirty dream rolling around on a shag rug. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we, we get this like whole, yeah, opening sequence. It's like, what, a TV studio. Everyone's frantic. They're going around crazy. And we do have this like epically awesome newscast where everybody's like swearing and yelling at each other. You got people running in, putting fingers over their heads. And, you know, it's, it's, I guess I was confused because you are literally thrown into it straight away. You know, it's it's not like we get Johnny and what's the name driving in a cemetery. You know, it's like we Barbara, yeah. we are, we are shoved straight into this. And I mean, I guess maybe the dumb part of myself is I, I realize we're covering the Living Dead series, and so I should have assumed that this was a sequel to the Night of the Living Dead. But I kind of went into this assuming it was a standalone film. So can you at least? Uh, maybe put an understanding here. So this is a sequel to Night of the Living yeah. Dead. Uh, I guess the idea that George Romero always had was that these movies would all, I guess, take place in the same universe. It's following the same timeline, but that they're all their own type of movies, different settings, uh, different stories, different characters, but that they're following the same thing. I mean, the way that the newscast portrays it is almost like this is the next day. You know, if you read up on Wikipedia, they say this is supposed to take place about three weeks later. Right. So it's, I guess this is 1978, but this is where my 40 years, 50 years got lost, people, because (laughs) we're 10 years in the future, but three weeks have passed. So now we have an explanation for it. But yeah, I guess every single movie is sort of its own different type of story with no characters connected to the original, but the story is the same. It takes place in the same basic region, you know, where we're looking at Pennsylvania, I guess. Yeah. 
and the zombies and i i just remember land of the dead which is the only other one of these i've seen which is the fourth one that it took like 20 years to release it was completely different from even this but again it had the same thing in common zombies in pennsylvania everybody's overrun well i think kind of i i established after a little bit that this was like with the news reports and what they were saying that i'm like oh, okay this mustn't be that long after it's kind of all happened so yeah dumb bum ben basically uh connected the dots eventually <laughs> but i mean it's, it would have been a lot easier if they had started talking about ordinary people yeah. <laughs> during the newscast <laughs> if, the, if the news people were straight away like and poor johnny uh he <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah I, and kind of obviously everyone's running around it's frantic and and i mean it's the one thing i will say though like once i kind of got over the initial like what the fuck's going on here like it's it's i like it when you kind of get shoved straight into it and one thing i love about this film is that and we talked, I think, a little bit about it last time with uh, with Night of Living Dead, is that, you know, one of these sort of survival movies where you're not seeing what the government's really doing, you're kind of learning it through these characters. And this, to me, and I'm just going to say this straight away, is one of the best films I've ever seen with that type of genre, because the, these four main characters that we're going to meet, like, they, you just connect with them straight away. And it's like, yeah. I haven't felt that in a long time in one of these survival movies, that you legitimately care for every single one of these people, like, straight away. And it's... It's quite kind of an interesting way of doing it. But in, the, in these early parts, like, you've got so many people. I'm, like, at this point, like, going, do we like the, the bearded newscaster guy? Do we like the other guy who's, like, <laughs> saying, fuck live on air? You know, like, uh, it was it was just, yeah, it's, it's such an interesting way to start this movie. And, I mean, I'm kind of covering everything here because I really think it's sort of lumped all together in this opening bit before we get to kind of like this uh raid on the house i mean there's nothing really unless i'm missing something here um i mean we obviously meet steven and we obviously meet fran because you know he's saying i've got a helicopter let's escape but besides that there's nothing really anything else here that i feel that needs to be separately discussed again unless i'm missing something here Uh, and one thing that's interesting is that uh steven doesn't really even explain what his relationship is to her. We only kind of find that out, you know, as the movie progresses, which is another thing. I hate movies where they have to spell it all out right away. And, you know, the scene would open with him kind of stroking her back and patting her belly to indicate she's pregnant, (laughs) it's mine. Like, we find out none of that right here. There's no, like, cheesy exposition. Like you said, you jump into the movie and they also make you kind of play catch up with the characters, which I like too. Uh, The other interesting thing that you, you mentioned that I didn't even think about was how, you know, kind of like Night of the Living Dead, and we mentioned comparisons to Signs uh, a few weeks ago when we did Night of the Living Dead, that we're, we are following it from just your regular, ordinary person's <laughs> point of view, and that we're not following the government or anything like that. But if you watch this movie, you have four lead characters, basically two groups, uh, two pairs, that are each coming from uh, some type of group where if we had followed them in that environment, we would have learnt the whole story. We would have, the SWAT team, we would have learnt the government side of it. The media, we would have learnt the media side. Instead, they're basically, we're going to take these SWAT team members, these soldiers, and these media people, and we're going to, within 10 minutes, break them off from everything that would connect them to all the, the knowledge of what's going on in the world, and we're going to isolate them, you know, in the middle of nowhere, in uh, a mall, locked away all on their own. I didn't even really thought about that, about how important these characters would be and it's almost now watching it's like a tease if you watch the first 10 minutes like all right so we're gonna have the media stuff then we're gonna have the soldier stuff but no like they get ripped right out of that and that's actually really interesting 
So there you go. Just because I was dumb and confused about what was happening, I'd come up with something smart every now and then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it just takes me explaining you. Yeah. To make you sound <laughs> takes, a, takes a Canadian to basically make the Australian <laughs> sound smart. That's generally how our shows work uh, on the Oz Network. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's hectic and everything. And like the, the bit that really then confused me is this next bit when it kind of crosses into this uh, raid on this house. Uh, oh, this story looks kind of what a housing project, I guess you would say. Um, cause at this point I'm thinking like, what's going on here? And then particularly when they're just like, these are not zombies. These are just like people running out of the house with guns, shooting at racist cop. Uh, <laughs> but like, I was like, what? I had to read about this afterwards to basically find out what was, what was happening. Uh, I mean, did you understand? Cause I mean, I can, I can read here what this is actually happening here because until I read this, I didn't understand why these cops were raiding this apartment building. Uh, well, I mean, just from what I gather, it would be like we watched the end of Night of the Living Dead and you have uh, all these people just going throughout the countryside, just shooting anything they see, you know, any any black man sticking his head out of the window, as we discussed <laughs> in last week. Um, here, my thought is more that, uh, and again, it's just from what I'm watching the movie, that you have these areas that are heavily populated that it's basically overrun but you also have people in there that don't want any part of the police taking control of this. And that's where you get the uh, uh, very dangerous rebel Puerto Rican hippies that are putting up a fight <laughs> even though they're not infected. Yes, one of the most dangerous uh, minorities that are out there, the Puerto Rican hippies. Uh, <laughs> rebel Puerto Rican hippies. Those are the ones you got to watch out at, for. Look up your daughters, everyone. They're coming. Uh, but like from what I, what I read here, it says that... SWAT officer Roger DeMarco and his team raid a housing project where the residents are defying martial law of delivering their de- oh, their dead to National <laughs> Guardsmen. So there you go. So basically, yeah, okay. they're, ba- they're saying, like, fuck the police, <laughs> you know, yeah. coming out. And meanwhile... You- so again, yeah. I explained you what did. Ben meant yes. to say and made it sound smart. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't need Wikipedia to do it. <laughs> That's why Colin usually hosts these types of episodes. Uh <laughs> Let's die another day. Um, but yeah, so we get this gun battle going on. We meet, uh, we meet Roger. We meet, uh, um, da, 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 don't tell me, Peter. Thank you. Um, and we get this lovely little uh, emotional scene, don't we, with uh, Peter talking to a new recruit who also automatically gets shot in the head. Um, so, uh, not Peter, sorry, uh, Roger, right? Yeah, rather one around. Yeah. Um, they look very similar. Uh, but. <laughs> uh, yeah. Very emotional. I was getting very attached to this new recruit who was, um, you know, don't worry about me. That was like, actually, I mean, it's effective, isn't it? Because you see these two, like, guys, you think, like, oh, these are two people are going to be following in this movie. And one basically gets shot straight away. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, look, all jokes aside, I think it was very effective. And we obviously get, you know, extremely racist guy who's, like, telling everyone to get out of their ass, and I don't want to use the words that he's using, but he just goes completely crazy as they storm into this building, shooting everyone. We get the amazing head explosion scene, which is just epic. (laughs) And then, in the meantime, we also get, like, zombies that are just coming out of nowhere and attacking people, and we get the fantastic special effects for the first time of, like, the zombies eating that woman and literally seeing her skin getting, like, torn off her body. Uh, and then previously mentioned racist cop decides to just completely lose it, so the cops have to shoot him. Um, <laughs> and then we just get this, like, it's just, everything's going on. Um, and our, our dear friend, um, Roger meets Peter, 
Uh, are they on the roof? Is that where they are? Or is I, I didn't understand actually where they I were at that point. I don't remember. No. No. Um, maybe that was in the director's cut. Possibly. There you go. So maybe. Well, I got a scene at least of um, of Roger up on the roof and there's Peter and they meet and they talk and then he removes his helmet and then next thing you know, um, they're in a jail cell shooting zombies who are eating legs and everything. Um, I mean, again, it's it's action stations everything's going on here we obviously you know are really being introduced here to roger and peter uh, who are going to become you know two uh important people two of the four and obviously we we hear um roger has a connection to steven uh i believe that's the connection am i getting that right because obviously they know like oh we're going to go meet at the helicopter pad and he's yeah. saying to uh, Peter, you should come with me, even though they've just met. So we get all this stuff going on. We get a one-legged priest who's giving a weird talk. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else there really is out of I, Again, I feel like I'm missing things, but there's just so much going on here that I think the most important to, thing to note here is he's Roger, he's Peter. Yeah, there are some things that Romero does here, which instantly made me think, I, I mentioned this last uh, week or two weeks ago for Night of the Living Dead and going back to our episode of Alien Covenant uh, <laughs> that Jamie and I recorded <laughs> and how much I disliked Alien Covenant's horror aspect just because the characters weren't afraid on screen and how important that is. Here you have SWAT team members you don't have to have like somebody cowering but you have SWAT team members You know, they're, these are the toughest guys in the country at this point. They're the ones that their job is to exterminate all of the zombies and Puerto Rican hippies. And <laughs> these guys look terrified. There, there's moments where they charge in there and they're all like gung-ho and, you know, let's go, guys. And then, like, within a few minutes, they're just looking around and they look disgusted and they look terrified. And they're still doing their job, but just the looks on their face is what makes you feel uneasy watching this. Yeah. And it's weird that Romero goes back and forth throughout this movie and probably halfway through the movie this time, I was feeling almost like, is this a mistake that he's doing this? Because they have these fun scenes where nobody seems afraid of the zombies and it's kind of goofy music playing and, you know, these quirky little shots. And then you'll have something really uh, freaky like this where it's violent, it's gory, and the characters are terrified and you feel scared again. But I almost feel like that was a way for him to balance so this movie wasn't so dark uh, and maybe also just as a way to kind of get a reaction. It's just like when you have suspense building up of somebody you know walking through a dark room and it's quiet then all of a sudden somebody jumps out of nowhere this is almost like a long form version of that that you you have these scenes where you feel like i'm not scared because the characters aren't scared and then they get terrified and they just the entire tone of the movie just it changes just like that i think i don't know about you but there, i mean there wasn't really anything in this movie that that scares you in the way like i mean it's no, not like I, that jump that's scare modern audience about. point of view i think too yeah yeah because i mean i guess again coming from a background of someone who hasn't really seen horror movies that much i mean my assumption is that you know every time you see something dark something's about to jump out at you but i guess maybe that's as you just said the modern audience perspective but i mean it's kind of it's it's interesting to look at a film like this like particularly this opening this bit here where you've got like literally zombies ripping flesh off bones and you know off living people this time around you've got a head exploding and you've got you know people in a jail cell and all these zombies just gnawing away at like limbs and everything and 
again, maybe this is a modern audience perspective. We can look at that and not necessarily be that grossed out by it. Like, I mean, we talked about in the last one how there was, like, that was kind of confronting what we were seeing. And there is confronting scenes in this film, but maybe we're just used to our torture porn special effects in Saw and, you know, Final Destination where they don't look that realistic, but compared to what we're seeing here, they look a lot more realistic that they're not as confronting to us. But I can imagine people watching this in 1978 seeing that woman getting, you know, skin ripped from her shoulder. I mean, I can't imagine yeah. that that wasn't extremely disturbing to see that in 1978. And, and you know, it, it's funny because I think modern audiences almost sometimes look down on these older movies where, where, not that you were doing this, but even you're like, well, there's nothing in here that's scary. And the reason I brought up the whole modern audience thing is because it, it's just that we're desensitized. And what desensitized really means is that we've seen it enough that it's not scary anymore. You know, if you're on a roller coaster, you know, for the first time in your life, your heart's going to be beating a little bit faster than if you rode that same roller coaster 10 times in one day, you know, by the 10th time, you're not going to care. And it's not that like modern audiences are are harder to scare. It's just, we've, there's certain things we've seen. It's horror movies are a formula. People uh, always forget that it's a formula and the scares you're going to get used to after a while. Anyways, uh, what's interesting about this movie is just like with Night of the Living Dead is you put yourself in the perspective of 1978 and you think what other movies were doing this at the time? You know, what were there? There were tons of movies that still to this day people consider terrifying that came out before this. Like you take The Exorcist. You can still watch The Exorcist to this day and it's it's a creepy movie. But what this is doing is different is that whole really violent gore aspect where it's almost disgusting terror to watch. And... Sure, you get that all the time now. Like you mentioned, finalists. It's almost become more of a comedy thing with like Saw or Final Destination. People, they go to kind of applaud and clap at this. But 1978, nobody had done this before. So it, this is, it, just like Night of the Living Dead, it's a historically interesting movie to watch to think about what would people have thought at this time. I think kind of your um, what you were explaining there too describes a lot of people's feelings when they listen to us for the first time. It's like straight away, yeah. they're like, oh my God, this heart's beating a little bit. This is what's happening to me right now. By the end of it, they're just desensitized, like 10 episodes in. They're like, oh yeah, we get it. They're yeah. trying to be funny. It's not working yet. They'll, they'll find a funny episode one day. Um, just wait till Ben covers Veronica's closet, nah. and then then we'll be there. Oh, that's when the <laughs> comedy we'll gold strikes. <laughs> <laughs> Bring on Veronica's closet Oz, <laughs> followed soon by Jesse Oz, and suddenly Susan Oz, <laughs> and if you're lucky, Caroline in the City Oz. Yes. <laughs> Late nineties sitcoms that people have forgotten coming soon to the Oz Network. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, <laughs> one thing too, like, I mean, obviously Night of Living Dead was in black and white. I mean, we could have watched a colour version, but we stuck to the uh, the original. And this is obviously being in colour. I mean, you, you definitely notice the zombies because they've got that, like, bluish grey tint to them, don't they? So it's kind of like, at no point in this movie, going, is he a zombie? Is he a zombie? It's kind of like, they're a zombie. <laughs> yeah, that's probably another thing that, you know, modern audiences, it's kind of lost. Like, my wife's watching bits and pieces with me and she's like, those things kind of look cheap. And I'm like, why? It's like, well, why did he just paint them blue? Like, why blue of all colors? Why not gray? And uh, I'm just like, thinking, like, I don't know what, what the difference would be with color, but you want it to be striking. And nowadays, everybody knows how a zombie moves and all that. If you hadn't watched even, like, we talked about how revolutionary Night of the Living Dead was in 1968, that what we're seeing, the undead, or what do they call them, ghouls in the movie? Yeah. Nobody had really presented those on screen before. The word zombie was associated more with, like, voodoo cults than it had it had nothing to do with undead. 
And here we are 10 years later, and people still probably aren't that familiar with it. It's not like we had 28 Days Later and Shaun of the Dead and, uh, you know, Zombieland and all these other things. People don't know all the basics of what zombies are in 1978 still. So you do things like you paint them a really elaborate color just so that they stand out, and it's so obvious to you which ones are which. One thing I mentioned kind of in all this, we've had these two scenes here in kind of, the information that we're getting from the people like in the media and we've got like the debate of kind of like how do we deal with these people and like one of the things that is off is constantly said throughout this movie like you know the problem here is that we we kept emotion in the picture that you know these aren't your your family now they are just creatures um and i think kind of we we get a bit of that don't we from that priest who's kind of i guess bringing a bit of I don't know, what would you call it, emotion or human element into it? Because, I mean, we do get this great sort of, you know, opening with Peter and Roger Howe. Um, I, I can't remember which one it was. It says, like, oh, you know, we've got to get to this helicopter, but is it okay to run? Like, again, I don't know if that was in your version or not, but, like, they have that speech there where they're kind of having that moral question, like, is it the right thing to do? Should we stay and fight yeah. or should we run? Because we, don't we get a scene here in the um, the zombie cage when, like, one of the cops is about to kill himself or something like that or... Again, was that in my um, version or not yours? I don't. It may have been. Again, like there's a lot of stuff that happens in this movie. Some of it uh, is kind of lost on me. But I mean, I, I get exactly what you're talking about. About you know the whole should we do this? And that's where that that line you know that, that I quoted at the beginning. I, I guess it kind of sounds cheesy the way it's written, but it does make sense. Where you know they're in the helicopter later on, and they're basically saying like you know we're thieves, we're bad people. You know we're not supposed to be doing this. But that that's what's interesting. Like you mentioned the newscast. This is where the world is. Like, even in the opening scene where uh, Fran is kind of saying she's leaving the, the cameraman, was saying, it doesn't really matter. You know, yeah. we're all going to be gone tomorrow. They're replacing yeah. even us. Like, everybody is shutting down. You know, the world is shutting down. So is it a big deal if you abandon your post and steal a helicopter? Like, who's going to be there tomorrow to tell you it's wrong? Yeah, exactly. It's kind of, you know, one of these situations where, again, you're, the audience, you're like, what would I do in that situation, you know? And it's kind of, you got to do what you do to survive, and that's what these guys are doing. Do you uh, know what I would do? What would you do, Colin? Uh, I had this idea that I could make it to an island. <laughs> an island? Really? An island? Do you have any cigarettes? Like you gotta get you gotta, you gotta <laughs> cigarettes though before you get to the island. Like any island, but you gotta get any cigarettes. <laughs> Some of the intellectual debates they have. <laughs> uh, which leads us to the helicopter scene. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought they were on a roof at first, but clearly they're not because you know Peter they're not a roof. Well, well Peter and Roger shop in a car, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like, I they can't be on a roof if they're sharp in a car and then the boat's not on the water. Like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Am I watching this differently? <laughs> <laughs> I think we're just paying attention to different parts of the movie. <laughs> Possibly. Well, we're at the scene when uh, Fran and, and Stephen are, like, waiting for for Roger. Um, so, I mean, they've got to be on a roof. Like, because they go upstairs, right? And they're on, mm-hmm. like, a ceiling or a roof. They're, on a, they're walking upside down. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they're uh, Lionel Richie at the moment. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, I, I don't know. Because the car shows up and then they're fighting and then there's a boat and it's confusing. Whatever. They're, they're in a helicopter. Um, and, yeah, so Stephen's like, what's he trying to do? He's, like, trying to find... Um, he goes inside to do what exactly? <laughs> yeah, and I made no notes on it. <laughs> At this but point, ben, you're like, hosting this. Thoughts? You've got the yeah. notes. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Oz Network. We don't know what we're talking about. Uh, 
He goes inside for some reason. Fran's, like, at the helicopter waiting for Roger. And then these other cops who have kind of turned... I don't know what's wrong with them. They're basically about to steal the helicopter, but then they realise they're not going to because then Roger and Peter show up. They talk them out of it. They go off to a boat. There's a guy who wants cigarettes a lot. Um, (laughs) They want to go to an island. And then before you know it, uh, they all take off and they, they kind of question, uh, seems like, who's that guy like to Peter? Um, and then they, off they go. But I, I do love, <laughs> I love that guy. He's just like, got any cigarettes? Got any cigarettes? Got any cigarettes? Like, I mean, I want to know who he is. Did he go off to like make a big in Hollywood? Who is he? Who is he? <laughs> and, like, this is they like- all had cigarettes. Do you notice that they're in the helicopter the next scene smoking? They just, just waited until, yeah, they waited until they were out of, uh, uh, out of his vision or at least out of, uh, range of his gunshot yeah. or whatever. <laughs> it's like. And I, I think I've only done this once. We have a lot of, in the old area I lived in, you know, it was a nice area, but there's so much traffic that went through there and a lot of tourists went through there. So there are always panhandlers asking for money. <laughs> and, you know, I think one time that you could just tell this person was just asking for money. Like they weren't poor or anything. And they're like, uh, you know, oh, sir, do you have any money? And I'm like, oh, sorry, I don't carry any cash on me. And then as I'm walking away, I'm jingling the change in my pocket. So that's what it kind of felt like these guys were in the helicopter. Yeah, Colin, a dick to people who want money. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a dick to all homeless people. (laughs) I do do like that um, when they're, like, fighting over the helicopter. What does that guy say? Like, I ain't going nowhere and nothing I can't drive. It reminded me of Goldfinger with all the people in the boardroom. What's that map doing there? Who yeah. are these people? It just this um, this guy on the rooftop. The uh, I got this idea. We can make it to an island. Yeah. Any island, like that, is the greatest bit. And I mean, greatest in a complimentary way. The greatest bit of overacting I have ever seen in a movie ever. <laughs> it, what it reminds me of is you ever see the movie? It's probably my favorite comedy of all time. Bowfinger with yeah. Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. Yeah. There's when they're filming the cameo scene at the end where they actually get a real police officer in there and he's like, hey, tough guys like you don't get far in this world, mister. Like, <laughs> this is the tough guys like you guys. Yeah, yeah. I love that. We should do that movie. Why haven't we done that movie? Oh, please. Let's do Bowfinger. <laughs> I love Smashing Pumpkins. I like doing that too. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Did you know that Tom Cruise didn't even know he was in the vampire movie until two years later? <laughs> <laughs> God. Um, anyway, but like, one thing I will say, like, I, I was seeing this scene with these cops, like the island cigarette cops, and yeah. I thought, like, they were going to be part of this movie. Like, I'm thinking, like, oh, we're going to see maybe a side story of their fight survival to reach, I don't know, Prince Edward Island or wherever the hell they're going at that <laughs> point. Uh, that's kind of closer than Pennsylvania, isn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> closer than Tasmania is. That's why I went with that joke. <laughs> um, but, like, you never see him again, spoiler alert. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of like pretty much from this point on, we don't really see anybody else, do we? Except for our Fab Four. I mean, we've got the Beatles at this point. Um, yeah. Which is, I mean, I think it, again, going back to my point, saying like you just feel for these people, you connect, and this is what really works in this aspect. But I mean, again, having never seen this movie, not knowing what to expect, I'm assuming that these, you know, over the top cops are going to play some part in this film, but they just don't. So I, I mean, George Romero does that in a way that kind of. It's a survival film where, I guess, maybe from the modern audience perspective that you're saying, you're expecting these characters to still be involved, but that's where it works well because you're kind of seeing them in this living, breathing society where people are all surviving, they're trying to do their thing, and we're going along for the ride with it. And it's kind of like as it would be in real life. If you are trying to, you know, go out there and survive, you're going to bump into random people, but you're not necessarily going to see them again. 
Yeah, and I think this is also something that uh, we're finding two movies in a row that Romero does that's really, uh, really interesting is that he finds a way to give probably the most personality to the characters that you see for the smallest amount of time. And you take Johnny in the first movie. Johnny! It was the exact same. Yeah, poor Hashtag Johnny. Johnny Lives Matter. <laughs> Johnny Lives Matter, that's right. Uh, but it was the same thing with him. Like, you know, you feel like this is your lead character of the movie, not just because he's introduced right away, but because... Even I've seen with Barbara, he's the one who's kind of setting everything up. He's the one telling the story. He's the one showing his personality right away, and he's dead in five minutes. Yeah. And you get the same thing here. Even with some of the, the news people you see on TV, like, he gives you physical characteristics that would make him stand out more from your your Beatles, Fab Five, Fab Four, as you said. <laughs> uh, like, the, the guy with the eye patch that we see on the news. Like... First of all, he's very animated, he's very over the top, and he's got an eye patch, okay? <laughs> <laughs> These characters don't matter, but he wants them to stand out, so that it, your main characters are almost more like, it's relaxing to watch them. I did read an interesting review, and I'd be more interested in watching it now that we are covering these, but I've never gotten around to seeing Zack Snyder's 2004 remake of this. And an interesting criticism I read was that... Uh, People complain the movie didn't have as good character development. And I think it was even George Romero who came to the defense and said, well, they have more characters and they have like a half an hour less in the running time. It's like, I, I could get away with having character development because I only had four people on screen for two hours and ten minutes. <laughs> and, and that's where, because let's be honest, I mean, this script is n not Shakespeare. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Some of the lines we're quoting are pretty rough, but the way he gets this character development in there is by having this weird contrast where the over-the-top characters are the ones that are just there briefly. And I almost feel like when you see these lead characters, they are calmer and you pay attention to them more just for that reason. Yeah, yeah. And we should also mention too with a lot of this stuff that we're talking about when it comes to, um, you know, the lines and also when it comes to special effects. I mean, it was, again, similar to Night of Living Dead, a very low-budget film. This was made on $1.5 million dollars. Um, I mean, a fortune compared to Night of the Living Dead, but yeah, yeah, still. Still, I mean, that's, I mean, 1978 standards is still a lot of money, but I mean, you know, you would assume that something like that. So, I mean, obviously they, they probably spent most of that on the special effects and not on the script writing mm -hmm. along the way. So, um, yeah. but I mean, again, it's, it's, it is one of these ones where, you know, if you analyze a script, it's not brilliant. It's kind of like when we're talking about Twister, that like, if you analyze a script of Twister and like the stuff that's being said, it's not fantastic, but it, so much stuff over comedy, like, I'm the biggest fan of Jurassic Park in the world, but like I can sit down and listen to some of the stuff that's said in Jurassic Park and realize that's not exactly Shakespeare, but it's still yeah. <laughs> an amazing movie because it's fucking yeah. Jurassic Park. So you have to have the right characters and the right actors yeah. to make the dialogue believable. Yeah, I'm not saying that this cast is the the most brilliant cast ever, but they did the job and they made the characters. Uh, a lot more vibrant than they should have been considering the material they're working with. You know, even just we were talking about Twister right there, I and mean, people can even listen to the interview we have with Joey Slotnick <laughs> in one of the earliest episodes here on the Oz Network. Uh, Joey Slotnick talks about the, cat, the, the script for it, and, you know, we were talking about how great this cast was, you know, Helen Hunt, Bill Paxton, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joey Slotnick, <laughs> and... Dennis Leary! He's telling, yeah, he's telling us stories just like, it's not even a script, they would be just telling them, you know, off camera, it's like, all right... Uh, tell them, uh, oh, look out, Bill, and that's our line, you know? <laughs> All day, to turn to the right and say, look out, Bill. <laughs> well, actually, there is, a, there is a scene which we'll get to that I was actually reading about uh, that was completely ad-libbed, 
um, between Roger and Peter in this film uh, that none of it was scripted. Um, and they kept it in the movie. So um, Sadly, it's only in the director's cut, so I won't have an opinion on it. <laughs> <laughs> possibly, possibly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the chemistry between these four as well uh, is is fantastic. Um, and, I mean, that's, again, from this point on, we've basically got the four of them. Uh, they're off in the helicopter. They're flying away from our beloved cop friends. Um, I mean, we obviously get a, a bit where they've got to land for fuel because that's kind of the running theme here. They, they keep running out of fuel, so they've got to find fuel sources. Um, we get kind of the overhead of the rednecks versus the zombies. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a random fun scene because, I mean, you you imagine that is literally what it would be like in that part of America. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, Pennsylvania isn't the most redneck part of the country, uh, but, I mean, still, well, there's rednecks there. There's rednecks everywhere. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I mean, it's just it's just a fun scene the way they're all going around drinking beer and all of a sudden like oh over there bang bang, <laughs> just mm-hmm. like shooting them and because well, the one thing I think is funny like good about this film is that I guess you know in Night of the Living Dead it was more about a shock like here come the zombies or the ghouls and you know it wasn't necessarily about having fun with it whereas like we talked about it in the first one how they're very slow moving they're kind of like you can mm-hmm. kind of easily just have fun with them and you get a lot of that in this film don't you about the fact that like well, they're just running around the mall just punching them knocking them over yeah like because i mean honestly that's what you could do with these guys because they're that slow yeah i swear this is in the movie people i couldn't tell you exactly what it was but it's basically when they're refueling the helicopter like you said uh and uh, fran and steven are off who knows why they're like hey let's go have a look around here but they are and then when they're coming back steven punches a zombie in the armpit and knocks it down on the ground for good okay an armpit shot is all it took the weakness of all zombies the armpit (laughs) that's like you know the thing with sharks they say that if you punch a shark in the nose yeah that's that's basically okay that's how you fight it off now we know what it is for zombies, right in the armpit. <laughs> what is it like? Werewolves are silver bullets. Um, like, <laughs> vampires is garlic. Uh, you know. But I mean, it's, it's kind of like that whole shark thing. Like, legitimately, if I'm getting eaten by a shark, are you really going to be like, ah, ah, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to punch it in the nose. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think at that point, you're half eaten and you, you know, you're Rob at Schneider. Not Rob Schneider, Roy Schneider. George <laughs> Schneider. <laughs> Rob Schneider was a shark hunter in Jaws. <laughs> you can yeah, do I... it, Jaws! <laughs> Rip his fucking head off! I was just thinking, if I was being attacked by a shark, I'd be getting everything mixed up in my head. It's like, what do you do for a shark? Uh, punch him in the armpit! No, that's not of the ten. <laughs> I'm going to get eaten by a shark. Is it Rob Schneider or Roy Schneider? I can't remember which one was in Jaws. <laughs> 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 what was the movie Roy Scheider made after Jaws? Wasn't it a Deuce Bigelow European Gigolo? <laughs> I was also getting confused with um oh I've got I've got the actor's name Red Grant um in Jaws. Oh Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be confused with Robert De Niro. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I mean I like this scene when they're just they're getting fuel. And, uh, you know, Peter's just chilling and these kids basically come after him, zombie kids. Uh, and then he gets, what is he, trying to get the coffee? And he's like, oh, out of order. He bumps it and the coffee comes out and he's like, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> he finds that funny? Um, and then they leave again and then this is basically where they find them all, is it not? Uh, or am I missing anything here? No, that's it. Um, 
And, uh, the, the only thing, and it's not like it's that noticeable. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. The only part of this movie, because uh, I think Romero was doing some really graphic things on screen, and I mentioned how I think he created that balance by having these weird, funny moments that precede, and even the moments where the characters aren't scared, and you got goofy music playing, and then you'll follow it up with one where they're scared, and you got the, the tension music. Uh, I feel like it's very seamless, and, and it's almost because you feel like, as the audience member, that he's pulling no punches. There's nothing he's not going to show you. So the one part that's distracting for me is with the kid zombies, because they are killed, but they're killed off camera. You just sort of yeah. cut back to a shot, and they're dead. And, of course, I'm not saying, yes, let's show the kids getting shot. I mean, if he had done that, then, you know, George Romero is, you know, the the guy that pulls no punches, period. <laughs> but it just it feels like it's the one part where you're like, okay, they do have some things they're not willing to show us. And decre- I don't know if it, I'm going to say it decreases the shock value of the movie, but it just it makes you more aware I'm watching a movie. And I think that's kind of the appeal of these uh, shock horror movies is that you, you honestly have no idea what they're going to do next. And for me, it's just, you know, let, let's let the kids get shot in the head on camera. Come on. <laughs> this is spoken from a father, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, obviously, Casper <laughs> was being a little shit today. Um, yeah. But it feels interesting, doesn't it? Like, you're like, okay, so they're dead now, but we didn't see it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Because, I mean, at least in the first one, we had the little girl, like, eating the leg. And then kind of even when she's getting stabbed, you still get at least, like, a bit of blood splurt burnt off the camera. As this one, it's kind of like... Zombie kids, bang, bang. Oh, they've got bullets in the head. Oh, okay, cool, they're dead. Um, yeah, I agree. I completely agree. Um, I mean, a couple of things here, actually, I just kind of gelled over uh, before we get to the mall. Uh, obviously, we had the scene where Steven's pointed the gun at Peter and he's gotten all angry at him. It's like, doesn't feel good, does it? Or was he say like, scary, isn't it? Or something like that. Can I just point out, Peter, so his name's what, Ken Foree? Am I saying that correctly? Or Foree? I've never met him, so I don't know. Oh, okay, know. I thought you would have. I thought you guys were good friends. But he has the the greatest voice. Um, like oh, he, yeah. He should do radio. I, I mean, I don't even want to do it just because he's got that real, like, deep voice that's just, just commanding. You just want to listen to every word he says. Like, he's got an amazing voice. Uh, and I'm just reading. He's still alive. Good, good for him. Um, and He's on Twitter. Is he? Oh, there you go. Tweet away. Tweet away to him now, Colin. <laughs> um, he was apparently best known after Dawn of the Dead for Keenan and Kel, uh, the Nickelodeon <laughs> show. <laughs> uh, sadly, not one I've ever watched. Uh, Colin, you be Keenan and Kel fan? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Are those the Good Burger guys? Um, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I know Sean Weiss was in Goodberg, wasn't he? Of course, Goldberg from Mighty Ducks. Um, but, yeah. Actually, I'm looking. He did a voice in um, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. He played uh, Pedestrian. Uh, we need him on the show just so we can listen to him talk. Oh, I just I just wouldn't ask him any questions. I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, Ken Furry. We're not going to talk yeah. for the next hour. I'll just get him to like, read the newspaper. Today in the news, Donald Trump did something stupid. And I'm like, oh, read to me, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, so he goes off it. <laughs> um, fly boy. Uh, but I also do like the scenes between Roger and Stephen, like Stephen with the gun. We get about three times that Stephen's just shooting and then steps Roger, he just like pushes a gun aside and he's just like, no, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> it's just so funny. I like Roger. Like, he's, R- Roger might be my favorite besides, uh, Peter's voice. Roger's just fun. Do you like Besides Roger? Peter's voice. Besides Your Peter's favorite character voice. in the movie is Peter's voice. Yes. <laughs> Exactly, Peter's voice. Yeah, Roger's the crazy one in this movie. <laughs> He's our replacement for the racist cop uh, in yeah. the beginning. 
<laughs> he's the non-racist cop. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, he's friends with Peter, so he's not racist. Um, so, <laughs> I don't know why that was funny, Ben. Um, but, yeah, uh, we also get the uh, zombie getting his head chopped off. That's kind of fun. Yeah, we're, we're only going to see it once in this series, people, so enjoy it now. <laughs> well, I, I don't know if you knew, like, I read an interesting thing about that, actually, and I'm kind of jumping ahead, but not really, but, like, the film was meant to end very differently, and apparently uh, was meant to end uh, with two suicides, and one of the said suicides was meant to be somebody getting the head chopped off. So they basically yeah. use this as a foreshadowing tool for that to happen. So, but um, like, yeah. Uh, and again, maybe this is just me being overly distracted, but I feel like th- they set this up with the whole media thing, saying the only way that you can kill them is to either shoot them punch through the, the brain or sever the... Yeah, they punch in the arm. Nice <laughs> <laughs> swift punch in the pit. <laughs> but they say... They specifically go out of their way to say, uh, yeah, you shoot them through the brain or you sever the brain from the body by cutting off the head. Yeah. And I, I was kind of expecting more of that. I'm like, oh, we're going to get some cool... And I know I'd seen this before, but I'm still like, oh, we're going to get them with swords or something like that. <laughs> it's almost too much of a disappointment that we don't get it. And I think that alternate ending that was planned would have made that a little bit better because uh, maybe this is just desensitized modern day audience, but I'm like, how many times can we watch somebody get shot through the head? You really do enjoy those moments though, where they do different things, like take a screwdriver to the back of the skull or stab them through the ear, you know, connect themselves to a blood pressure machine for some reason yeah. and get their limbs torn <laughs> apart. Um, and I can't wait to get to that scene. That scene there just baffled moments. me. Um, but anyway, so they're back in the helicopter and they find a shopping mall. Or is they, what do they say at one point? That must be one of those big shopping malls. Like, I'm guessing in 1978, were these a new thing? I mean, like, Maybe. Like, if that's a shock, I don't know. I mean, can I just point out, this is the Monreville Mall, Monrovale Mall. Uh, it's a real mall, still in existence, uh, near Pittsburgh. And apparently, Colin, this used to be the largest shopping mall in all of America. And just to uh, connect that into you and I and our lovely personal friendship, you and I met at the largest mall in America in person for the very first time, which, you know, basically constituted me shouting out to you, 007 sucks, because <laughs> you were wearing a T-shirt of our other show, 007, available via iTunes. But there you go. I just, I didn't know if you were a mall aficionado, but I just gave you some stats. That's, no, that's interesting, because the entire time we're walking around the Mall of America, I like to think to myself, if the zombie apocalypse really happened, that's where I'd be hiding. <laughs> yes. Right um, there underneath the SpongeBob ride. The Nickelodeon <laughs> World theme park in the middle of Mall of America in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, why don't they do that for the remake? Let's yeah. let's set them in the Mall of America. <laughs> oh, goodness, yes. Mall of America, where you get lost in the uh, parking lot, where each parking lot's named after a state in America. Um... <laughs> Anyway, uh, so they land at this mall, and they're kind of going on. They see all this, <laughs> just the shot with all like, the zombies walking around the car park, and they look in the shopping center, and they're all just walking around. I mean, this is just like, this to me, I'm like, they're not zombies, they're just shoppers. That's just what all mm-hmm. shoppers look like, yeah. right? Well, see, as you mentioned that, I'm, I'm going to bring up how people don't really make the comparisons to this the way they do in Night of the Living Dead, that it's all this social commentary, and you think they could almost try to twist this around and be like oh it's about consumerism in the 70s and i'm glad nobody really does that because 
that's idiotic for one. <laughs> but yeah, it would be fun if if that was what he was planning with this, and to see how over the top he went with the zombies. Well, we we obviously get the fun bit though when they're kind of on the roof and they find this like a supply room, I guess, where there's all these you know supplies in there. And I mean, again, similar to what I was saying before about how I'm assuming there's going to be other characters in this film. I'm assuming they're going to go in this mall and there's going to be other survivors and they're hiding out in Macy's or something like that. But I mean. Obviously, that never eventuates because they go into this uh, room. They're basically, you know, looking at the supplies. They're going to load up the helicopter. And then uh, from some point on there, though, uh, Peter and Roger decide to go and have a bit of fun in the mall and leaving, you know, Stevens, who's asleep, and Fran. Uh, they've found some spam and they've been eaten and everything. Um, I mean, there's some very interesting decisions made in this film by some of the characters, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about because, I mean, a lot of, I think, what happens to a lot of them is on them um, <laughs> just i mean i think that's slightly obvious but um yeah we kind of get this from here just this fun scene where they they go into what like the office of the mall and they turn on all the power they find like the master keys and then they kind of they go lock themselves in a department store and i mean i'm guessing that's like macy's or something like that walmart fancy walmart i don't know um what was it i mean you were around in 1978 in the united states colin i'm assuming you would know the answer <laughs> to what was a big department store in 1978 in the u.s <laughs> Oh, you're actually asking yeah, me. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Uh, JC Penny is that even a department store? That's more of a clothing store, isn't it? You know, my older sister <laughs> was born a year after this movie came out. Uh, so <laughs> maybe I'll ask her husband. Okay. Right. Just anybody listening live to us right now, phone in. Please uh, tell us. Yes. But, uh, I mean, I, I think this seems fun. Like, you can tell that, like, Peter and Roger's having fun. As going back to what I was saying before about, like, running around these zombies and just, you know, basically knocking them over and just whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, getting themselves into this department store and just basically having fun going shopping. This is a weird fantasy of mine. I don't know if it's yours and other people it's like to get locked into a shopping center like this and just have fun like i mean there was that episode of the oc they did it there's been plenty of episodes of tv shows they've done it but i mean that would be fun this this always happens that one of us says the most off the wall thing and the other person's like that's exactly what i was thinking (laughs) um i actually put in my notes here that my childhood dream was to get locked in a mall because it's like <laughs> you can do whatever you want. Like I could go and I could grab all the toys. I could you know eat all the food. It was basically for me a mall, or I would I would go to bed at night imagining I was either locked in a mall or locked in a water park on the water slides all day. Yep, yep, yep. Exactly. See, we we both think alike. It's uh, it's fantastic. It was, um... Which is why we're both such big fans of Suddenly Susan. <laughs> 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 Of course, uh, as a big Natalie Portman fan, um, you know oh. that would have loved where the heart is when she gets locked in big, uh, not big W, that's Australia, uh, Walmart. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I hate Natalie Portman, but I do love that movie. All right, the Walmart baby. There you go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this this whole sequence here is, is fun. I mean, I'm just like the quote, let's go shopping. And they're just like running around like going, woo hoo hoo hoo. It's just like when they've got that scene when they're trying to, you know, get the zombies from one side to another. <laughs> what does he say? Like, let's try the old okie doke uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden i swear at some point the zombies start sounding like cats they're like um and yeah uh we kind of obviously at this point get steven decides to be a hero and leave poor old franny up there he gets a gun he fights a zombie that nearly kills him but he ends up getting the gun working um, and we get zombies getting thrown over the place. Um, we get 
people yelling at you did it fly boy all right i'm just i'm just reading through my notes here to try and make sense of this because i mean seriously ben's oh, reading the script verbatim i'm right reading now. <laughs> the script ladies and gentlemen if only it could be read by ken Faree, it would be much better um but yeah i mean i'm just lumping a whole lot in here feel free to bring anything up here we're obviously getting you know screwdriver deaths um <laughs> getting weird uh, voiceovers from mall people that aren't there that sound like Darth Vader. Um, yeah, I, I, I again, lumping everything here. If I'm missing anything major, please correct me, but I, I think this is a lot of fun just seeing them going haywire around the mall and just getting all these supplies. Well, you did miss Gandhi Zombie, oh, uh, which is my favourite. Of course, who Andy Dick. Later on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at this point, this is a long section of the movie. Yeah. Like, you said you're lumping it all in. I mean, you are, because it's probably like a 15-minute long scene. Uh, and there's not a lot that happens in it. But at the same time, it's very fascinating. Because I wanted to sit there and make notes saying, oh, are they ever going to be done with this? But this is fascinating to me, even in kind of a, a weird comedy, gory horror film like this. Just the idea of survival and what people would do. And it's fun to see, you know, little tricks they do that you wouldn't think of. Like... With kind of like in the first movie, you know, a lot of the survival tricks you see, you know, the the, the burning chair out on the porch, even though that's a bit of, you know, an issue, as we mentioned. But here, when they're like, okay, we'll board ourselves up in the store and they're going to be banging on the glass, they'll eventually get bored and walk away. And that's how we escape. Like, they're just confident that these plans will work because they've watched them long enough. So all all the survival stuff's a blast for me to watch and it it could have gone on for you know an hour straight and i wouldn't have minded at all yeah and i mean that's the thing like as you're saying it does go on for a bit and kind of there i mean this is similar i think i was saying about night of living dead where it wasn't a movie where you would look at the time and oh god we've only got like an hour to go you know what i mean like it's i was exactly with you you were just finding it just fun and it's kind of this is where like you're starting to really connect with these characters and just have fun with it because you know it's it's it is a serious, like, survival movie. They've got to survive from, you know, this apocalypse that's taken the world, you know, from regular-looking people. Um, <laughs> but, like, all of a sudden, they just, they've just switched focus, having fun, and this is kind of when they decide, like, well, look, there's supplies here. We should just stay here for a while, you know? Like, why not? And, obviously, um, poor old Franny, who's, you know, been attacked by Andy Dick, he's on um, Gandhi. Um, he, that is Andy Dick. Like, I said this to call it off-air. Like, he, that is legitimately Andy Dick. I don't know how old Andy Dick is in real life, but, I mean, that's his yeah. dad or something. Like, <laughs> I see it now that you mentioned it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got that picture of him on your as your profile, profile thing. Um, I think we found Andy Dick's role he was born to yeah. play in that zombie gone. <laughs> yes. Uh, the best line, like, this is completely off topic, but, like, my favourite Andy Dick line isn't even from an Andy Dick, like, it was from a parody. You know, I don't think they do it anymore, but remember, like, the MTV Movie Awards? They used to kind of do, like, the opening. It was just, like, whoever the hosts were, they would, like, insert themselves into the movie oh, yeah. and kind of parried it. The one they did uh, the year with The Matrix, like, the Reload and Revolution, so it was, like, Sean William Scott and Justin Timberlake. And they're just, you know, guys through all the scenes and there's the orgy scene. And it's like Justin Timberlake and Sean William Scott are there like, what's going on? And like Andy Dick's like there is like one of the people in the crowd. And it's like, I hear that there's going to be like an orgy later on. Like, let's hang out. And then all of a sudden like Morpheus like comes up on stage and Andy Dick's like, oh my God, it's Morpheus. Like, it's just, <laughs> I can't do it justice. But like everybody type in like MTV, The Matrix parody. It's, it goes like 10 minutes. It's better than both right The Matrix sequels. Type in, yeah, right after you take. <laughs> Type in Andy Dick Zombie Gandhi. 
My friend, like I know you and um, you've talked about how you and your brother would just randomly quote films. I remember a friend of mine yeah. in high school. We used to just walk around going, "Oh my god, it's Morpheus!" <laughs> <laughs> We'd just like randomly walk around a corner. Oh my god, it's Morpheus! Uh, <laughs> anyway, hello Andy Dick, if you're listening, probably are. I don't think you're doing much these days. What's the, what is, what's, what's the last thing Andy Dick was in? <laughs> I don't know, but I bet she was doing voiceover with Ken Forey. <laughs> I'd watch that. Um, <laughs> we learn at this point, though, uh, that Fran's pregnant. And we also learn at this point that um, Peter can perform abortions. <laughs> this, is, this is the weirdest moment of the whole film. Because it's all like, you know, Franny's pregnant. Like, oh, you know, that's, that's nice. And then just the way he's like, do you want to keep it? You know, we can always abort it. I know how to do that. It's like, how do you know? <laughs> like, how does he know to abort things? That is that really creepy? Or is he just like night doctor in disguise? Like, I mean, what is the purpose yeah. of that whole sequence? This is kind of a weird one, too, because they go out of their way to say something where you're like, okay, really, there is nothing that is off limits in this. But the way he phrases it is weird because he says, I know how to take care of that if you need me to take care of it. Yeah. You know, like they don't come right out and say it, which again, I'm not saying, yeah, come right out and say, hey, I can kill that baby in your room for you. Like that, that would be a little bit insensitive. <laughs> but, but yeah, it is, it is weird. But at the same time, I guess it depends on how you're watching this movie. And if you're watching it like I am where you're really enjoying the whole survival aspect more than the horror. Like I really like to see what survival's like in this situation where the world's falling apart and you have, you know, these soldiers who are just abandoning everything. And this is what the entire world is doing. Governments are falling apart. They probably would be thinking, listen, do you want to bring a baby into this world? I'll take care of that if you want me to. Yeah, true, true. It's just, it's just such a weird skill to have. It's like, you know, Got the, got the pilot. Taken, yeah. yeah, that's taken for his plot, the man with special skills. <laughs> you know, he's the pilot, he's this person, he's the aborter. Uh, <laughs> a... Coming soon, starring Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> that baby, I will find it, I will kill it, <laughs> I will track it down. <laughs> I really don't think that's a superhero that's going to take off. <laughs> the aborter, no. making it pro-life. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, stop it, Ben. Stop with the abortion jokes. All right. Um, <laughs> this is why Andy Dick doesn't listen to the Oz Network. No, that was the, the last person to make that joke was Andy Dick. That's why Andy Dick doesn't make anything. <laughs> That's why Andy Dick doesn't have, like, Andy Dick Oz or Andy Dick has a podcast or Andy Dick has a podcast Oz. I mean, every name's com- connected nowadays. Um, <laughs> you know what I want is a play on the nerd is called the Andy Dickist. Yeah. <laughs> Dickest. Uh, <laughs> uh, I want Andy Dick to make a version of the big sick and call it the big dick. No, that's just that's cheap, Ben. That was an obvious. You're running low on material. Yeah, Ben. Come on. What did we say before about people just signing out of these podcasts? Um, we get a bit of. Uh, are they listening to radio? Aren't they? Uh, and we kind of hear a little bit more about. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about they're not humans again, and you know, they're just. Uh, all that kind of, is this the bit? No, this isn't the bit where they're talking about nuking the cities. That's later on. Um, but we kind of obviously get that line where they're talking about the why the zombies here in the mall and kind of the oh, you know, they've obviously just got you know, it's familiar to them. Some part of them remembers where they are, and I guess that's important, isn't it? Kind of later on in this film with a certain scene where yeah. one of the zombies remembers something. So I mean, that's I mean, it's it's sort of 
you feel it's nothing. And that's kind of maybe tying into what you're saying about, is this like a reference to consumerism? But I guess, like, knowing what happens later on in one of these scenes, you kind of need that thrown in there, don't you? Yeah, well, and it's funny that this movie is just dumb, mindless, graphic entertainment. But like the Oz Network, there is something <laughs> like the Oz Network, <laughs> and just like the Oz Network, there are some things in here that are so intelligent. <laughs> really, just said by Colin, not by Ben. Uh, yes, Colin decodes it. Ben <laughs> likes die ben. another day, and Veronica's uh, closet. <laughs> But, like, let's give George Romero credit. I mean, it's funny. Neither of us are George Romero fans. Not that we don't dislike him, but, like, you said you hadn't really ever seen any of his movies. I'd seen a handful of them. I wasn't, like, a diehard fan. You know, if he released something, I would Die Hard? What's wrong with you? It's a great (laughs) film. Die Hard is my childhood favorite film. (laughs) Like, (laughs) 10 years old. John McLean was my hero. the cheap jokes that I go for? It's like you hear a passing reference and you go for the shits and giggles and it's not funny. Shut up, Ben! (laughs) But, um, like, we're not huge fans or anything, but the reason we're doing this is we're starting to discover why people love George Romero so much. And that's because these little things, like I said at the beginning, this movie has no cheesy exposition. He fits it in such a clever way where the lines are just subtle enough that it's not obvious, but just obvious enough that you remember it later on. So when uh, you know a certain character uh, that will remain spoilerless for now is coming to find them in a spot he shouldn't know where they are, it's because they said, "Well, it's basically just muscle memory." You know, some part of them remembers this, and little bits like that, or even the, the chopping the head off, they come back later, and you remember that moment earlier on where they talk about this, even if you don't remember whether they were in a car or on a roof before they got in the helicopter. That's, again, why people listen to us. They're like, oh, just mindless memory of when they used to talk about Survivor and had, like, good things on their show. Now they're just talking about other things. But, um, actually, a random thought. Now they're Ra- practical jokes. <laughs> oh, God, don't remind me. Um, I mean, here's, like, a random thing. Like, we're obviously doing these because, you know, sadly, George Romero passed away. Do you ever feel that, like... Oh, shit. What, when? Do you you ever feel when Michael Bay dies that they're going to be, like, people coming out and going, just the way he subtly uses that explosion earlier on in the movie, you just, you know it's going to be a bigger one later on. Like, there are some people that when they die, and this is no disrespect to them, you really don't feel deserve, like, tribute episodes done to them. No, I mean, but at the same time, like, let's be honest, like, George Romero started out his career with, you know, these movies that are considered legendary, Outside of this, I mean, there are a handful of really bad movies he was involved in, too, you know? Um, so, are you but, trying to say that Michael Bay has directed at least three good films? <laughs> I will say that, yeah. I mean, at first, Bad Boys 1. Armageddon. Nobody's going to talk bad about Bad Boys 1. Uh, the Island. The Island was pretty good. Armageddon. Um, Arm- <laughs> well, Arm- no, it's okay. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'll even go as far as to say Transformers 1 was pretty decent. Okay. But here's the thing. You know, there are things that, and now we're getting completely off topic, there are things in Bad Boys 1 that I could talk about, especially knowing how low budget that movie was. When I listen to Michael Bay's audio commentary for Bad Boys 1, I'm like, this is almost like film school. So so even Michael Bay has something that you could appreciate with him. And, and yet if you even George Romero... Arm- if you listen to the Armageddon commentary and hear Ben Affleck try and describe the fact about, um, you know, why they just didn't get astronauts learn to drill, and Ben Affleck <laughs> says because Michael Bay said it wouldn't work. 
<laughs> oh no, because Michael. What did he say? Something like really dumb. He's like, oh, because Michael Bay just said shut up and go with the film or something like that. You know what? When Michael Bay dies, and it'll be soon Probably because our track record. The last of, two hours now that we've mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, since, since Ben has been killing celebrities by mentioning their deaths before they happen. <laughs> Uh, when Michael Bay dies, we will have a Michael Bay debate on here on the positives and negatives about whether he deserved to live or die. <laughs> he probably gets blown up. Like, let's be honest. That's how Michael Bay will die. Uh, I mean, I, I honestly can't wait for the Lee Tamahori tribute episode. <laughs> <We've> got... oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was um, that one he did, uh, <laughs> Once for Warriors. Uh, um, yeah. That's it. Welcome to the Lee Tamahori tribute episode. <laughs> Hashtag die another day. Uh, all right, back to the... <laughs> back to... What are we covering? Uh, Dawn of the Dead, that's right. Dawn of the Dead, another day. <laughs> I was about to start talking about Verity walks on and she needs the back of her top... Uh, to, never, Please, no. Never mind. Um, the, but we obviously... Uh, we I mean, we find out she's pregnant and obviously at this point she kind of wants to be involved a little bit more. I mean, I will say with Franny's that... She kind of does start off as a bit of a damsel in distress. Like, you know, like, okay, yeah. she, she's no Barbara. Uh, I mean, she's not canatonic, I guess, but, um, but like she kind of does turn that page at this point. I feel like, you know, she's like, oh, I want to be involved. There's four of us. We need to make the decisions. Um, and I mean, I, I, I like Franny and I, I, we mentioned, we should mention that they mentioned Canada at one point here, don't they? Like, I guess we'll forget yeah. about Canada here. Colin's like, Canada! Woo! Um, but that's what all that happens in these movies is somebody has the assignment we're going to Canada and they're like no Bahamas no. instead yes but I mean do you like Franny I mean I guess we like all of these four there's not, none of them here that we don't like I mean Flyboy is probably the most boring yeah. of all of them but we still like Steven I mean you know going as far as to say like is probably not what I would say because I find these characters to be likably unlikable that would be a good way of describing it Uh, It's not like you're like, oh, I wish I were there surviving with them in a mall, you know. It's more like, you know, these people are kind of (laughs) scary. but And they're thieves and bad guys. That's just the way they like it. (laughs) But uh, the the one thing I'll say about it is the same thing I said in defense of Barbara is that George Romero, another very smart thing he does with these is that he uh, finds ways to portray characters that are all different. They all respond to the situation differently. And Fran, yeah, you said she comes across like a damsel in distress. You find out here why. I mean, she's pregnant, of course. This isn't like Barbara where she's just terrified, which I defended Barbara, and that's the way that the majority of us on this podcast would have responded being catatonic. But with Fran, she's perfectly capable. She even says, I want to learn these things so I can take care of myself, but she's not rushing to do it because she's like, I got a baby in me. You know, being perfectly honest, my wife's probably one of the toughest people you'd ever meet i mean she has seven <laughs> brothers and she beats up the majority of them you know uh but it, when she was pregnant she's like i'm not doing that if a zombie apocalypse she happened she's like i'm locking myself in the closet you you take a gun and you hunt those things down i i don't have to be pregnant to say that i just lock myself in the closet anyway <laughs> and just shit myself ben claims ben claims he's pregnant <laughs> yeah zombie i am apocalypse. pregnant i am i, I haven't told yeah. anyone you're the father Me- Ben and Nick are all trapped in a mall, <laughs> and Ben's in there going, "You guys take care of it. I'm pregnant. I'm gonna walk in the closet." Bye. <laughs> and Noah comes in on his like European horse, and is all like, "I'm Noah. I've been in Europe." Da, 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 da. Um, I take care of these. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> There's zombies everywhere in Slovenia. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, you're right, and 
it's it's interesting actually. One of the things I read about this too, Galen Ross, who Galen Ross, sorry, who plays uh, Fran. Uh, apparently, she refused to scream. She said that like you know, screaming means that I am the helpless woman. You know, I want to be a strong female. So apparently, like George Romero told her to, and she said that to him. And then basically from that point on, he refused to like he didn't say to a scream again. She's like, okay, fair enough, good good point. So like, there's a scene I think when um she's getting attacked by Andy Dick Gandhi and like she doesn't scream and I, I noticed that I'm like wow she doesn't scream but then like kind of when you read it I'm like okay that makes sense because you would assume and I don't know if that's uh, you know film audience's assumption that he's the woman about to get attacked she needs to be helped by the man so she's got to scream but she doesn't scream even though she's still technically running away. <laughs> but I guess all the men are running away too. Everybody is, yeah. So everyone's running away, so that's a bad reference, Ben. But, yeah, I, I just found that interesting, that little, uh, yeah, the trivia bit there about her refusing to scream. So, yeah. Anyway, but I thought she was also about to turn full Barbara when, like, after the Andy Dick attack because she kind of was a bit catatonic for a little bit there. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. He's Barbara 2.0. But, yeah, uh, when everybody's talking about murdering her baby, yeah. she's just sitting there pacing back and forth. <laughs> yes. I, I do like the scene after this where we just kind of get random zombie in the mall scene. Like the zombies <laughs> on the ice playing ice hockey. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's the Toronto Maple Leafs training session, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, <laughs> funny times, funny times. Uh, we get random fat guy zombie outside. Uh, <laughs> shirtless fat guy. <laughs> shirtless fat guy. We had naked woman zombie in the first one. Now we've got... Fat guy, shirtless zombie. Uh, we get the really weird music playing. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, and then, yeah, we get this, this... Again, this is one of these scenes, again, that I didn't understand what the fuck they were doing until I read what they were doing. When they're getting the trucks, I'm like, yeah. why are they... What are they doing with these trucks? Why are they left... They're talking about, like, helicopters like, not wasting the fuel. I mean, by this point, they've basically decided to stay at the mall. We should point that out. Mm-hmm. But, like, I'm thinking, like, okay, they're flying this helicopter up. They don't want to waste the fuel. And now they're just randomly driving trucks around for what purpose? Like, it took me a while to realise, after I watched the movie, when I read about it, they're doing this to block the doors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I had to read that up, too, because I was... And I thought, well, maybe I just didn't hear that part. You know, I had a screaming baby in the room with me, but... You're basically backing up that they don't explain it very well. It's it's a very cool idea. Those are the little things I like in this movie. Uh, the, those survival plans. We're like, wow, I guess that is what you would do. Yeah. Uh, but it isn't explained so well. The sequence. I mean, do you want to talk about the sequence or? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, we we kind of obviously get them what going back and forth with the the trucks and then kind of in between all this, uh, Roger kind of he goes a bit loopy. Uh, you yeah, because I mean, this is like I like him at this point because he's like he, they're just having fun with it. Like I mean, because mm-hmm. again, you kind of would feel people like this would just have fun with them because they're pretty pointless bad guys in a way because they're so slow. It's only when they bunch of them get on top of you that you got to start shitting yourself, or if you get bitten by one, which obviously we'll get to in just a second. But I mean, it's kind of in the meantime, you, you can see yourself having fun, and like what, I think you were mentioning about how we didn't get a whole lot of like people getting their heads chopped off and things like that. I was disappointed we barely got any, like, Grand Theft Auto mowing down them in, like, motor vehicles. Because, I mean, how many opportunities yeah. in this movie have we got them, you know, in a car or a truck or motorbikes? And you think they're just going to be flailing around. But, um, yeah, I mean, this whole sequence... The one thing, actually, I'll just kind of back up to one thing I was mentioning before about the ad-libbing. Uh, the scene when they're kind of back and forth on the radio talking about their height and kind of, like, talking about them, like, in the trucks and just, you know, oh, you're taller than this or I can do this for a living or whatever they're saying. That apparently was all ad-libbed. That was not scripted. Oh, really? That was just, yeah, between um, Ken Faree and Scott Ren- Reiniger? 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 Uh, <laughs> 
I didn't say what I. I didn't say what I think you thought I said. <laughs> Reiniger. There we go. I think that's his yeah. name. <laughs> Careful, Ben. Um, yeah. Can I point something out Please here do, that I'm not a racist? Truck- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, every single truck they're driving is a BP truck. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Now, the issue with this movie is they're low on fuel, and all they're doing is driving fuel trucks, apparently. Well, I mean, is that, but is that BP the BP? Because they don't look like fuel trucks to me. They almost look like garbage No, I mean, the trailers certainly don't, but it's just funny. Like, is this product placement or something? Because I don't know any other companies that are copywritten as BP. <laughs> well, Baden-Powell, the founder of the Scout movement. Like, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> he could have had trucks. Uh, you know what? A Canadian institution, Boston Pizza. That must be what it is. There you go. Um, Ben's Most penis. Canadian institutions uh, take their name. <laughs> my well-known institution. I don't know where I went with that, Ben. Just shut up. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if uh, there's anything specific here that you're wanting to talk about. We should really mention the fact that, uh, you know, uh, obviously yeah. Roger's getting attacked in the truck. He kind of gets blood all over him and he kind of goes a bit loopy and then he ends up getting bitten eventually. But now, when they go back into the mall, that party's... Is like I obviously realize that when you get bitten, you're sort of infected, so you're kind of fucked. But like when he gets that blood on him and he kind of panics a little bit, is is the blood also an agent that gets you infected? Because that's kind of what I took from that scene when he's got the blood on him. He's like, "Oh no, fuck! I've got blood on me. I'm going to become a zombie." Uh, well, I was kind of interpreting that that he was wondering whether it was his blood or theirs. Like, if it's my blood, then I know I'm bitten and I'm done for. Um, but other than that, I have no clue. Um, <laughs> I'm just. Rewatching the sequence right here, uh, trying to pick it out. But <laughs> this happens. is actually well, I, I remember it. It's just I'm trying to figure out the whole thing with the blood, or even when he gets bitten here. But what's interesting about this? This is both my favorite sequence of the movie, all the truck stuff, and at the same time, the one that has me scratching my head the most because there are a couple of kind of obvious plot issues here. Uh, the one being the BPU trucks they're driving, but that's minor. Uh, another one is the radios. Like you said, it's ad-libbed, and it definitely shows it's ad-libbed. And I like the dialogue. I like the back-and-forth stuff. It is some of the stuff that feels natural in here, and it doesn't feel like, you know, we can go to an island. Uh, but <laughs> with the conversation, I'm like, they're talking on radios, but they're talking at the same time. And I'm like, radios don't work that way. <laughs> you have to end and let go of the button and say over. The reason you say over is because you're not going to hear anything until the... It's just, it's yeah, that was just... Weird for me watching that. I just saw the part right here where you get the blood on him. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's not much of a debate. He is freaking out, though, so maybe there's something to what you said. I, I, I That was just my initial reaction, was just that. I, yeah. I mean, I, obviously, he gets bitten in, like, two seconds, so, like, that kind of cancels that point out. I mean, obviously, if he had of turned into a zombie still without getting bitten, but, I mean, I just kind of would have assumed that that's where it came from because I'm, I'm guessing that when you get bitten, there has to be some sort of exchange of blood. And I mean, I guess obviously it's got to be blood on blood, but look, I, I'm not the I, expert uh, in transmitting diseases, people. All right. <laughs> I'm not a doctor as we, we keep discovering in our nip tuck podcast available for now via the Oz network. I am not a doctor. So <laughs> I also want to point out another big error here in that he goes from the shot where he's checking all the blood all over him. And then when he turns around as, you know, uh, he shoots the other zombie in the head, <laughs> All the blood is off of his face. It looks dried on on his coat, but nothing's on his face anymore. Um, yeah, I'm just going to keep picking up plot holes here. Uh, biggest problem I have with this, okay? So, which two characters are driving the truck in this one? It's, um, uh, Peter, and it's Roger, Peter and Roger. And we have 
Steven, who's in the helicopter. What is his reason for being in the helicopter? I, I would assume he's like the lookout for them right now. Okay, well, if you see anything, let me know. When he sees stuff, he doesn't have a way to communicate it to them. Yeah. So he's kind of muttering under his breath, come on, move, move. Why are you wasting the fuel in the helicopter to yeah. be a lookout when you can't do exactly. anything for them? Because, I mean, my, my part was that he obviously had to drop them off at the top of the hill. Uh, but then, yeah, from that point on, he should really just fly back and, I don't know, tend to his pregnant girlfriend. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, like, I mean, what's she doing at this point? <laughs> like, just... Oh, because that's when they say, like, you're not coming with us, right? That's the, the bit where they're all, like, macho men, like... So you can learn what you... And, which, again, it's not that, like, people in, uh, nowadays are going to look at that and they're going to be like, well, that's sexist. It's like, no, she doesn't know how to fire a gun, as we find out later on, and she doesn't know how to fly a helicopter. So, I mean, if I'm in the middle of the zombie apocalypse... And I know how to fly a helicopter, and I know how to fire a gun. And Ben's standing next to me, saying, "I'm pregnant. See you later." I'm not going to do that. Ben, here's here's my gun, and here's the keys to the helicopter. Exact quote I would say in that situation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, like, yeah, exactly. I mean, if I'm in any situation like that, I have no life skills. All right, if you need me to podcast to save you from the zombies, I'm down. Other than that, I am going to be the guy shitting himself in the corner. Oh, no, 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 no. Like, I don't know what the fuck I've got to do. This is like the second zombie movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Put me in a dinosaur situation. I know how to, like, I, you know, don't move when a T-Rex looks at you. <laughs> That's about it. I do want to say with the, the truck sequence, two things here. One, and that's probably the third time I mentioned this, so how Romero will go back and forth. And at this point in the movie, this is the sequence where I'm starting to understand what he's doing, where we'll have this kind of goofy scene with the zombies, you know, bumping into doorways and playing hockey and falling up the escalator. Uh, and then we'll have a scene after that where it's really terrifying and they're about to bite somebody's face off because we have like the driving the trucks around and they're having fun with it, as you said, and it is kind of goofy and, and this is a comedy film. And then a second later, as uh, the, the truck attack is happening, it's like really tense. Like that's probably the tensest scene. And it's not scary, you know, maybe desensitize modern audience, but it's super tense, yeah. and though it's the way that uh, it's played, where suddenly he's scared again, where he wasn't a few seconds ago. Like you said, you get one on top of you, and then, then that's when the terror sets in. Um, it's really, it's really effective the way that Romero does that because he keeps the movie light enough so that you're not feeling overwhelmed with how shocking and how disgusting everything is. You know, maybe for audiences who found Night of the Living Dead too much like that, but at the same time. It's the same thing as you said, the jump scare. That's what a jump scare is nowadays. This is like the Romero equivalent of a jump scare. I'm going to make you feel like it's a comedy, and then no, it's a horror film again. Um, the other thing I liked about this, and again, it's probably the third time I mentioned this, is just the survival aspect. You know, Night of the Living Dead was how do you survive a night uh, trapped in a house uh, with these zombies? We don't have a plan for tomorrow. Let's just get through the night. This is like how are you going to survive long term? So this whole plan about blocking the doors, once I read that up and finally found out what they were doing here. I'm like, that's actually a brilliant plan. You know, you would want to make sure that nobody else can get in here. Yeah. And obviously that then kind of leads into them basically living in this mall, which again, dream. <laughs> Hello. Um, but I mean, we get great little montage scenes of like them, um, you know, getting the guns and is this where we get them in the bank, getting the money as well. Yeah. 
Um, and <laughs> it's why are they stealing money that clearly has no value anymore because the country's collapsed? But wouldn't you? Like, I mean, I know it's got no value, but I mean, still at that point, if you're like, see a bank and there's shitloads of cash, you're just gonna want to feel that kind of. It would be fun when the bikers do it later on. You're really scratching your head. You're <laughs> like, yeah, stuck gold. Yes. Um, and this is so for this sequence to I think I've jumped ahead there with the money, haven't I? Because we've got the gun bit. No, that's it. This, they're no, like this basically bit. they're boarding up, cleaning up zombies, and then having fun. And they're driving around, and this is where they're driving around in the car as well, and they're like locking them all around. Um, yeah, and oh, yeah, because this is where they're like they're cleaning up all the zombies, as you're saying, because like they've got to, they're basically saying we've got to get rid of these bodies, and they're just like pile them all up. Um, and poor old, uh, Roger's getting stuck in needles. Um, we get the scene with Franny vomiting. Leave me alone. It's my problem. I don't want you to see me like this, please. Um, <laughs> that's my really good acting. It would sound a lot better, of course, if, uh, Ken Foree was doing it. That's not acting. That's what Ben does when he's faking pregnancy. Yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> get out of doing work. <laughs> and I just, I, I just kind of like this fun sequence where, you know, they're going around the mall shopping. They're getting clothes. They're getting eating pickles out of a jar. They're like getting all this food in the supermarket. They're playing like an F one game. Which poor little Roger. He looks so sad when he crashes. And then as yeah. soon as the game starts up again, he's like, "Hey!" <laughs> <laughs> um, and I like just like you know you, they keep cutting back and forth between the zombies at the door. And then is it uh, Peter's sort of uh, line about how oh there's no more room in hell? You know that's what my yeah. my was he tagline grandfather said you know once there's no more room they'll come up here um but and yeah this is where this is where we get the um the the they're watching the tvs and because this leads up into the death of um of roger because they're watching the tv they're talking we're seeing the debate about whether or not they should drop bombs on big cities because how basically they can't contain it in the cities and then um we get fran well it's really over isn't it and then we hear bang because at that point you know spoiler alert roger's turned eventually being uh succumbed by zombie disease um he's been he's caught british <laughs> Um, no, Scottish. It was Scottish. Sorry, Scottish. That's an old joke. Download 007. Um, what was our funny joke from um, uh, Spider-Man movies? What did we catch? Oh, uh, Echidna. Echidna. There we go. Ha, that would have been more... You um, got Echidna. You got Echidna. Uh, <laughs> and then he dies. Uh, I mean, again, I've drilled over a lot here. I mean, it's, it's fun. I just like the whole survival aspect of them in the, the mall. And I, I think it's at this point, too, that we've discovered they've basically turned their little room into an apartment with the couches and the TVs. And how the fuck did they get the couch up there through the uh, heating duct, by the way? Um, <laughs> but And have, have they boarded the, the stairs up at this point, or is that after Roger dies? No, I think that's after. Okay, well, anyway, so Roger's dead. Sad, he turned into a zombie and he's dead. But, um, again, I've... I've I've gone over a lot there because, again, similar to the whole sequence before, as you were saying, there's a long time passes here and there's stuff happening. It's entertaining. It's great. But there's probably not specific things here we really need Mm -hmm. to go over except for probably the death of Roger. Yeah, um, a couple other things here. The the first sequence when I guess they're first having fun in the mall, there's the video games, there's the, uh, the money in the bank and all that. Uh, There's this weird moment between... Uh, Peter and Roger, where one of them is holding up like a big sandwich or something like that. They're like, oh, you think? Uh, and the other one's like, no, this. And he holds up this giant loaf of bread. I'm thinking it's been at least three weeks since zombies have taken over the world. It's probably at least a week after that since this has happened. Yeah. You're sitting there getting excited about eating a month old bread. Yeah. <laughs> 
that's garbage of this. This is how the zombies started. They ate moldy bread, and the zombie apocalypse began. Yes. Don't that's how you catch bread. a kidna. Don't touch the bread. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the apartment stuff is fun, too, because these are little things that you, you don't have to see them do it, but you think later on is every kid had the fantasy of, you know, living in the mall after hours. Uh, there's, by the way, there's a really good movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a 90s film. Um, Broncos Closet? No. Uh, what's it? I think it's called Career Opportunities about a guy who's a, a janitor in a mall. No. And then he gets, there's like these two guys who take him hostage, but it's kind of just this fun movie about this guy who just, you know, goofs around at work living in the mall. Anyways, we're going to do a whole living in a mall series coming soon, Where the Heart is in Career Opportunities. And, and Paul Blatt Mall Cop. And Mall Cop, yes. <laughs> And the one episode of the OC where it happened. <laughs> oh, that was a good episode. <laughs> uh, but no, like it's it's that fantasy thing. So when you're looking at their apartment, I'm kind of looking for all these details. Like they got a couch up there, they got a TV. And you're like, okay, well, I guess there'd be a department store where there'd be furniture. Yeah, that makes sense. There's going to be TVs there. I like the the back and forth. I don't remember if it was here later on where uh, one of them's shutting off the TV, and I think Fran goes and turns it back on. <laughs> yeah, and it's like they're, they're just watching static. I think that is later in the movie, but. Yeah, even just the the stuff on TV. I mean, this is probably the one thing that connects this with Night of the Living Dead is that whole TV in the background to give you the exposition. Uh, because you do have now the uh, the the crazy bearded um, news reporter, you know, having it out with the eye patch <laughs> villain from GI Joe <laughs> on the news. It's still complete chaos there. How they're still in the air, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, all these little survival things are a lot of fun. And, you know, the, the montage, as you said, is a blast. Uh, just seeing them in the apartment is great. And uh, um, all the the background stuff on the TV, we're really getting a lot of the plot now. We're getting how far this has come. You know, with Roger's death, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a great scene. And I, I think you don't have to have all these moments that are shocking and violent and you didn't need to see him turn into a zombie and try to eat Fran's baby. You know, you, you just, you want to have a scene like this where it's kind of just like, they all know what's coming and they even position themselves at night. You know, when they're sitting around, you know, eating their month old bread and watching the static on TV and the, the, the eye patch man, they have one person in full view of Roger with a gun, just waiting for it to happen. And just the way the shot plays out, where he's covered with the sheets and he pulls it away slowly, and you can just tell by looking at his face, he looks like he, he's not blue or gray yet. He's, like, aged about 80 years. <laughs> and he has this look in his eye, and all that Peter does is just look at him and puts one bullet through his head. Like, it's such a sad scene without anybody actually being sad. They're actually yeah. like, all right, th there's a load off. But it's sadder because they don't respond to it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's done very effectively. Um, and it's kind of... The whole sequence of them just kind of... It's almost just like they're living this mundane life all of a sudden, isn't it? Like, after that, and we get this whole sequence, like you were saying, the whole turning off on sequence, and obviously, you know, Fran and Steven are just hating on each other. What is he like? He's taking a photo of her, and he's like, oh, you can drop it off in the drugstore later. Like, <laughs> it's like... Okay, because um, I think it's kind of really down to the fact that she's obviously getting a bit stir crazy because she's the one who wants to leave, and that kind of it leads yeah. us into 
her wanting to revisit the idea, which will ultimately lead into her learning to fly a bit more, and that will lead into our uh, our rebel gang kind of finding them. But I, I do like, you know... We're we get, not Puerto Ricans this time. No, they're not. They're just bikers. Um, they're the wild hogs. It's Tim Allen and um, John Travolta. <laughs> Judge and, Walker, was it William, Martin Lawrence, and William H. Macy. William H. Macy. <laughs> That's it. That's a good movie. I actually didn't mind that movie. Yeah, I love that one. Okay, yeah. good. Phew, I thought you were to rip me a new one. Did they make Best- a second one? Of that? No, they they had it planned and never got around to doing it. Sadly, right? Okay. Uh, I I will say, Wild Hogs is the single best biker film since Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> yeah. That's the review that should be on there if they make Wild Hogs too. Um, I mean, just a couple of sequences though. We get like yeah, the TV turning on and off bit. Uh, you know, we get Ken Faree playing racquetball or squash or whatever you want. To, you know, shirtless <laughs> Ken Faree. Um, but my favorite, you know, what my favorite scene though was Colin. Come on. Uh, Fran getting liquored up with a six-month baby bump? I, I was going to go with the fact of topless Fran laying in bed. We get some nipples oh. in this film. Uh, <laughs> we get nudity. I wasn't expecting that, but hey, we got nipples. Here's something that's sad. In that scene, I'm looking around, and it, it, I don't know if it is the same scene or not because I didn't notice her nipples. <laughs> you were looking at topless Steven. <laughs> well, no, I was thinking of like, what I was talking about earlier about how they make the apartment, I'm like, you know, they just got these mattresses on the floor, but they have the lamp on top of, uh, like, some type of food bin. And that just struck me as, like, okay, you know what? If Jamie and I are in the zombie apocalypse, I would be okay with just sleeping on a mattress in a closet. She'd be like, I want it to feel like home. Get me a lamp. I don't care what it's sitting on. I just know and- the fact that if I was watching this movie with you and Jamie, that scene comes on when they're both shirtless in bed. Jamie straight away is going to be like, oh, he looks all right with no t- top on. I'm going to be like, oh, she looks all right with no top on. And you're going to be like, look at the lamp on that bedside table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> If she were hearing this right now, she'd be like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, I think it's kind of a little bit after that that we get uh, Baby Bump, Fran, because uh, we see the calendar. They've like been ticking days off. And I, I, do we get the exact time frame that's passed? It's been at least a month by the looks of it. Well, but- I would say more because she's, she's getting up there. Like As far as how she's showing, she's probably at least six six months at that point. And they said she was three or four months I guess at the beginning. So, yeah, maybe minimum two months at this point. Which is interesting because, I mean, obviously, you know, as I said, this kind of leads into Fran getting a little bit stir-crazy. We just kind of get other little... Mon- is this a bit where we see her ice skating as well at some point? We see yeah. her doing makeup. Um, they're playing poker. Uh, Peter's cooking him a nice fancy meal. Um, she's getting liquored up. She's getting liquored <laughs> she's up and smoking pregnant. when she's pregnant. Um <laughs> 1978, ladies and gentlemen, you can get away with it. Uh, <laughs> people talk about how, like, times have changed. Well, we've got racist cops dropping the M-word and pregnant women smoking and drinking, all right? That's the difference between 1978 you know and 2017. <laughs> like, that was the 70s and 80s, and our generation came out fine. You can hear it here on the Oz <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Yes, I, I, I remember having the conversation with my mom, like, did you smoke when I, you were pregnant? She's like, yep. <laughs> There you go, ladies and gentlemen. If you want to know what happens when you smoke when you're pregnant, this is what happens. <laughs> you're like, did you snort? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, we we get the them 
obviously back to kind of when Fran was saying, like, I want to be involved. She mentioned at one point, like, I want to learn how to fly a helicopter because if anything happens to you, Stephen, you know, we should have another pilot, which, again, it's a very good point. So we see him teaching her, and miraculously, she's learned how to fly a helicopter basically straight away because she's landed it. Very good, very good. Um, <laughs> which, again, I'm thinking, like, is this not wasting the fuel? Um, but yeah. I guess she's got to learn. I mean, in 1978, they didn't have flight simulator on Windows or anything like that. Um but this is where we meet our wild hogs. <laughs> Basically, a gang of bikers who want to comb their moustaches. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Did we just stop for a second? I just watched this episode the other day. I know eventually we'll cover, like, even if we just do random episodes of The Simpsons, the one where Bart shoots the bird and then it becomes mother to the lizard. Yeah, yeah. And they're at, like, uh, you know, some type of Chuck E. Cheese restaurant or something like that, and they... <laughs> cashing their tickets for the prize and um <laughs> bart's like what did you get to lisa it's like fake mustache and he's like she's like what'd you get he's like mustache comb want to comb my fake mustache <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness can't even stay on topic in episode. i just <laughs> life is only worth living when you can quote a random simpsons episode <laughs> <laughs> but yeah we we get basically from here um we get all these and they're, they're like talking on a radio aren't they so that's where steven and peter can hear them and then all of a sudden they all come down you know guns are blazing on their motorbikes into this mall uh you know they've been living there for a couple of months they've kept the zombies outside all of a sudden no lol let's just break in and let the zombies loose now it confuses me though because they seem to be all like you know, this is a mall, like, you can't, you know, we need to share or whatever it is. So they seem like initially they want to attack these guys in this mall, but as soon as they get in the mall and they're just going crazy, they obviously don't seem to give a shit. So it's kind of like, what is their initial plan? Is it just to raid this mall and warning them, like, hey, we're coming in here to steal your mall? Um, Or are they just crazy fuckheads and they just get in there and like, money, clothes, yay! My question is, how has this not happened in the last four, five, six months. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, if any type of apocalypse is happening, the, the zombie, the echidna, uh, whatever it is, <laughs> if the world is coming to an end, like, all these movies show, the first thing they do is they loot the mall. Mm-hmm. You're grabbing whatever you got. I mean, it makes sense. You need supplies. You need to live. That's what we're watching our heroes do in this movie. They're like, okay, well, we're going to get the food. Now we're going to get some guns. Here you have a biker again. This isn't like a few people. This is a gang of people in direct vicinity to this mall in eyesight. They can see the mall. And not once has it occurred to them, you know what? We might need a little bit more food, maybe some guns. They might have some cash in there, some you know six-month-old bread that we could eat. And it's never occurred to not just the bikers but anybody, let's loot the mall. Yeah. And it's, it's in, in, like, suburban Pittsburgh, too. Like, I mean... Yeah. Um, I've been to Pittsburgh. You know, they loot malls even when there is no zombie apocalypse. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's all I did when I went to Pittsburgh. I just looted that's... malls. I joined in what the locals did. It's like, hey, we won the Stanley Cup! Let's fucking steal shit! Um, <laughs> that's so... what's on the city sign, Monroeville. We loot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Home of the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Looting Century <laughs> Club. <laughs> people um i don't know where let's I'll start go. that club we need a new hashtag to replace johnny lives matter <laughs> hashtag looting people club or whatever was you said looting century people club 
Um, Pittsburgh, home of the Steelers, uh, Heinz Ketchup, and Looting Century. They're actually very proud in Pittsburgh that they're the inventors of Heinz Ketchup. So, um, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure if Winnipeg invented ketchup, they would love it. Did Winnipeg invent anything besides James Bond? Yeah, well, we found out they invented James Bond. I mean, we, we invented bad driving. <laughs> I think a lot of cities can lay claim to that. <laughs> You've been to Kuala Lumpur at all, Colin? <laughs> Although we you nearly killed me, so... We invented human rights, too. That's you the other did. Thing. <laughs> you invented all of those human rights and then some. And great video games, which you couldn't even work out how to get little Johnny to the concert or whatever the fuck that touchscreen game was that I beat you at. <laughs> and, and you know what? Here's the other fun thing. Uh, Winnipeg invented the crash test dummies. Uh, <laughs> As in the band or the actual that, one in the car? The band. The band. Oh, who will be performing mm, live... Here in Winnipeg in two days with the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra as I part like of the Canada song. I like that mm, song. You know, it's the easiest song to lip sync to ever. It is. I don't, uh, have they, what else have they sung besides that song? <laughs> Superman song? I don't know if that was famous outside of Canada. The Superman song. What is it like? Superman never made any money. Oh, sorry. I didn't want to say <laughs> Superman never made any money. Saving the yeah, world. So, uh, I love it. Uh, I thought the, the Superman song was da, 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 da. the ballad of Peter Pumpkinhead from Dumb and Dumber. Oh yeah, that one. Uh. <laughs> they were great. Crash Test Dummies Oz coming soon yeah. to uh, <laughs> the Oz Music Network, which we've never created yet. Um, that would really be a terrible spin-off of this show. <laughs> like, this week on Let's Do the Albums of Madonna, Colin hates it again. <laughs> bin it, bin it. Crash his dummies. <laughs> Buy it! <Yeah! laughs> oh, God. Uh, <laughs> the music of Canada coming soon. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this whole sequence, though, like, I mean, we get the, the rabid biker gangs and it's kind of... It's, again, fun just seeing them go crazy and taking out all these uh, zombies along the way. And then we just get them going crazy in the mall. And the one bit where he gets, what's he get, like, the TV? He's like, what, yeah. what channel are you going to watch? Oh, good point. Because <laughs> that's the one plot hole in the movie where they actually <laughs> caught themselves on it. Because as soon as that happened, I'm like, what's he going to watch the TV? And I'm start typing my notes and all of a sudden, like, ah, they get it. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Like, I mean, if you, you were in that situation and you're looting. You were gonna yeah. like one of the first things I'm gonna get is like oh fuck get the TVs and it's like bam yeah, it's a zombie apocalypse zombie and this is pre VCR even so yeah. I mean they really had no purpose for it because yeah. I was thinking to myself today I'm like you know what I want a TV even if there was no TV of course I'm gonna steal the 3D Blu-ray players <laughs> yes the uh, the Betamax players. Uh. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, essentially, this whole this whole thing goes to shit because Stephen is a shit. Um, yeah. I mean, he basically he he turns full Roger at this point and goes a bit crazy, just like that's our stuff. Uh, and then he just, this entire mall is ours. Yeah. So I mean, again, as is the case in a lot of these movies, uh, you know, it's not unique to Dawn of the Dead, but one person's stupid decision um, causes everything to get fucked up. Uh, I mean, having said that, if he didn't start shooting, the zombies are still going to be in the mall. They're still going to have to start again. But, I mean, you know, as you were saying, I'm sure this is going to happen anyway. And I'm sure they probably assumed it would. So, Stephen obviously just fires off a couple of rounds. Basically, the motorcycle gang just starts firing back. And then, what does um, Peter at one point say? Like, you've started a war now or something like that. Um, I mean, when we get, like, a fun scene of them all 
getting shot at. Actually, one of the things too was mentioning the stealing the TV. Do you see the guy who steals a bowling ball? No. <laughs> Go back and watch it. There's a guy stealing a bowling ball. It's like, oh sure, why wouldn't you need a bowling ball? Sadly, that wasn't a bowling ball. That's what happens to pumpernickel bread <laughs> after six months. <laughs> so after you punch him in the armpit hard enough, they like, <laughs> solidify. Um, but yeah, we obviously this whole fight sequence happens, and eventually all the uh, the motorcycle gang leaves, but a few of them get stuck behind, and we this is where we get the really graphically gory stuff of like people getting their intestines ripped out oh. and that is like that is that a cool scene me out. did yeah. it yeah i mean it's fantastic like it I, I i literally put fantastic sequence with the intestines <laughs> but it is disgusting and that's why it's fantastic the thing that baffled me is like i'm thinking like how are they ripping this person open without any tools like are they that like strong but you know the weirdest thing that i read since i've watched this episode there's actually a real life case that has just happened recently in the u.s a guy in florida killed his girlfriend because apparently in the middle of sex she said his ex her ex-husband's name so he lost it like killed her and then ripped her intestines out with his bare hands and then tried to blame it on rough sex so <laughs> that's the thing apparently it's in florida of course it is uh so that kind of was all of a sudden like okay maybe a human can rip somebody's intestines out zombie or not but Love what you <laughs> said that's in florida in yeah, florida, I mean, florida they do it all the time you know, it's a Florida thing. But, like, my the funniest thing I don't get about this whole sequence where these, you know, motorbike people are getting killed is the guy who, like, is trying to escape from them by strapping himself into a blood pressure machine. Why? <laughs> like, does he not assume that that's got to be the end of him? Oh, they won't get me if I'm strapped and get my blood pressure done. He literally gets his arms ripped off. Like, what is with that guy? He's on something at this point. Uh, yeah, I mean, they all are. <laughs> suffering from echidna. This is one of the symptoms. Yeah, I mean, it's all it's all very graphic. I mean, I kind of think, though, we were, were you not expecting a sequence like this? Because, I mean, this is where the special effects really come into play. I mean, even when the bikies are killing the zombies, we get great sequences of, like, a machete going in a zombie's head and a couple of other zombies getting their heads chopped off. But I actually really was, like, building up to this point. When's the bit where we're really getting the graphicness? Because we got that in Night of the Living Dead when the... They're killing the the burnt body people in the car, but like this bit, just that that intestine sequence, and just like everybody yeah. chewing on everything. I mean that I yeah, it is very confronting, very disturbing, but I, it's a great scene. Uh, also confronting and disturbing are the bikers uh, putting pies in zombies' faces. <laughs> yeah, and you're talking about bread being off after two weeks. This is like yeah. month and a half old pies. Oh yeah, probably even <laughs> older than that. Um, but, yeah, you're half expecting at some point, like, this is, again, the, the weird contrast will have a really fun, goofy sequence followed by something that's really tense and creepy. And here, you're half expecting the bikers to start giving wedgies to these zombies. I mean, that's how dumb <laughs> it <wet> is. Willies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're basically just pushing, lightly pushing the fat guy, and he falls into a pool like, fat joke, <laughs> he can't stand on his own <laughs> yeah, power. I'm, I'm offended. Actually, just uh, just random side note, kind of going back to, oh my god, it's Morpheus. There's um, this funny sequence in that one when, you know, the bit in, in The Matrix and, like, all the Agent Smiths, the battling Neo. Oh, yeah. So there's, like, a sequence in this parody where it's, like, I think, like, Sean William Scott's meant to be Agent Smith and then, like, you know, Justin Timberlake's Neo. So then you just get this bit where, like, Sean William Scott's all like, stacks on the mill and, like, jumps on top of Neo and they're all like, Sean Pyle, Sean Pyle! And then he, like, gets there and he's like, wet willy, Mr. Anderson. <laughs> <It's>, 
<laughs> it sounds so stupid, but it's hilarious. Anyway, it was uh, you know you know who would have made a great Agent Smith is Ken Forey. That's yeah. the voice I want to hear delivering those lines. Yes, he would have made a great like everything like Darth Vader, like Bane. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> if we could do a Ken Forey impression right now, we'd be doing Mufasa? Ken Forey as Darth uh, <laughs> Like so many people, Ken Forey, just talk to me. Just say hello. Just Ken hello. Forey read all of Barbara's lines from yeah. the first movie. <laughs> Johnny. Johnny has the keys. Where's Johnny? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would pay Ken Forey good money to redo our introduction. You're tuned in to the Oz Network. Oh, yes. <laughs> we will get him on the show and we will uh, pay him. And we should say good money for us is like, I don't know, at least double digits. <laughs> and on that note, can people please donate us money so we can pay Ken Faree yeah. to... Uh... <laughs> uh, uh, one of us has a job here, people. The other relies on government money. <laughs> yes, so which is which? <laughs> yeah, Colin's who a government appears- mooch. <laughs> yeah, who appears on nine episodes a week? <laughs> yeah, bloody Nick, go get a job. <laughs> New Zealand freeloader. <laughs> I'm surprised you're not on like mat leave at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Shut uh, up. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love I love the biker sequence, yes. um, and especially because of what's going to come after it. Because every time one of these scenes started, I'm like, oh. How terrifying bikers and pies and faces. And then the next <laughs> comes, I'm like, I get why he did it. But, like, I really have to question why these bikers. It's not like the scene earlier on with Roger and Peter in the bank, and they're like, hey, money. That that does play out like, you know, every kid's fantasy. You're going to throw them a roll around and, you know, all this cash. The bikers are like stuffing their pockets, like, yeah, we got it. Let's go. They're, the money does nothing for them. Like, but they're and then, idiot bikers. I mean, you know, they're yeah, stealing well, bowling balls and TVs. <laughs> you know, if the apocalypse, zombie apocalypse happens, money's worth nothing, but I'm guaranteeing jewels are, and they just bypass a jewelry store. <laughs> so I keep watching, waiting for them to do something in the jewelry store, and it never happens. Uh, there also is a maternity wear store there, too. Yes, which, <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, we know where Fran's getting all of her clothes. But yeah, it's a, it's such a fun scene. Um, I, I there's so much that happens here right now that uh, I can't remember how the zombie or not the zombies the bikers disappear. Like, are they all killed off at some point? I no, they, they all just leave. I think it's kind of with the gun battle. They kind of just like take what they've got and they decide yeah. to leave. And then sort of the leader guy he kind of just gets picked off and fallen over the thing by um, Peter. And then a few of them, yeah, obviously get shot along the way. But I, I like Peter in this sequence just as they're leaving. Still has that sniper and he still, you know, mows down a couple more. Like that yeah. one, he's, he's like well out of the building and he's just like lined him up and just shoots him. Yeah. Um, the yeah. thing that really struck me with this, though, is kind of like we were talking in Night of Living Dead, how you could easily re-edit this movie and have Ben be the villain, you know, because... <laughs> Me? Of- yeah, <laughs> we get at this podcast with you, the villain, all the time. <laughs> it doesn't really happen. Nick and I are really the villains here. We just edit it for Ben. And Noah's uh, just no. no one because he's never been on the Oz Network since right. we started. <laughs> Coming soon, Noah's return. Suddenly Susan, season one. <laughs> yeah, he's hanging out to where we start Suddenly Susan. So I refuse to be on the Oz Network until you start Suddenly Susan. I fucking love Brooke Shields. In all honesty, we have to at some point, since we like to do like you know, these series and everything, we just have to do a bad 
90s failed <laughs> female sitcom one where we just do Veronica's closet, suddenly Susan, Caroline in the city, and Jesse. What's the sh- I think Jesse would be the shortest one out of those, I think. I feel that yeah. uh, Veronica's closet and suddenly Susan actually lasted a- quite some time. And Caroline in the city, actually, that went. We like that, though, don't we? We like Leah that Thompson. Was the right? one- That's the one show where I wouldn't mind covering. That one was all right. But- actually, I oh. actually own that on DVD. So. <laughs> No, but it was literally like $2 in like a reject shop, like brand new. So I'm like, why not? Kind of like when I bought Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. I loved your laugh there. That was like over the top hilarious. Because <laughs> uh, I just imagined myself, you know, we're doing this episode, not for us, but for because we know there's George Romero fans out there who want to hear people talk about it. And I can imagine all the George Romero fans tuning in right now and just what their image of you is as you're like, <laughs> I own Carolina the City and suddenly Susan. <laughs> If they've heard me say, I've never seen a George Romero film, and they're like, really, really? Oh, he likes Caroline in the city. (laughs) You've seen... (laughs) You're like, I've seen two horror films in my life. (laughs) I own Caroline in the city. (laughs) (laughs) What are these people thinking of you? <laughs> Please tell us, George Romero fans, what you think of Ben Wanworth. <laughs> you know the funniest thing is, it's probably the first time Caroline in the City's ever been mentioned on a podcast. <laughs> Leah Thompson, Leah Thompson, literally, her ears just pricked up. What? What? Somebody's talking about me that wasn't in Back to the Future. Someone knows I wasn't just in just in that at all. <laughs> This episode hasn't even aired yet, and Leah Thompson already knows that somebody's mentioned her name. Oh, my phone's ringing. Oh, it's Leah Thompson. <laughs> I'll do an interview with you right now, Ben. <laughs> we can't get Ken Ford on the show. We get Leah Thompson doing the introduction. Um, okay, so... Hi, it's Calvin Klein. Talk- uh- <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, 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 I'm just loving now imagining the George Romero fans and what they're <laughs> Suddenly, Susan. Uh, okay, let's. I think we've talked about the biker stuff already. Yeah, bikers die, intestines get ripped up, and Stephen gets yeah. bitten. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's probably. Oh, important. I was talking about the villains. Yeah, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. How Ben could be read as, read as a villain. You take all four of these characters, and you even mentioned with like these bikers. You know, who cares that they're bikers and they're a gang, and we see them kind of do some violent things in this? They're people. They're not zombies yet. They need to survive. So all of our heroes in this movie are perfectly okay with keeping every ration in the world, everything that a human being needs to stay alive, when human beings are now scarce. And they're like, let's keep it for ourselves. We don't care that there are other people in the human race left alive. We're all right with them dying. We don't want you taking our couch and our television and our lamps. <laughs> yes. They are actually just, like, murdering people at this point. Yeah, exactly. Kind of, yeah, it is actually an interesting. Like, I realize the bikers aren't exactly, like, knocking in the door going, like, hello, your friendly neighborhood bikers. May we borrow a couch? You know, but, well, um, yeah. They are. That's kind of a funny scene, like... Tell them there's only three of us. Me and I have the microphone live the whole time. Tell them there's only three of us. And everybody's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, goodness. But, uh, yeah, obviously, Steven gets bitten. He's uh, trying to escape in an elevator and basically gets ripped a few new holes in his limbs. And, I mean, obviously, he's getting bitten enough, the fact that um, he actually basically zombifies straight away. Yeah, um, it did take two months. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh. here he is, zombie Steven. And kind of this 
ties obviously back into what we were saying before about uh, that that memory part of because he remembers where they've built this false wall, which again we didn't really touch on. They built a false wall to block the stairs, so they didn't, nobody would know that there's stairs there, so they can get up the top. Um, and uh, Peter's obviously aware that he's going to remember because. In he comes, and in he dies, and from this point on, all the zombies are coming up the stairs, so fuck, 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 we've got to leave. Um, but for some reason, Fran, of course, who has flown a helicopter once, as we've seen, but somehow knows how to automatically fly it perfectly, um, Peter decides that he wants to stay behind. Now, I realise that, kind of, we mentioned before, that just the different ending that was meant to happen was that yeah. both Peter and Fran were both meant to kill themselves. Peter was meant to shoot himself in the head, and Fran was meant to decapitate herself in helicopter blades. Uh, and the head explosion scene that we saw earlier on back in the projects, that model of the head exploding was actually built for her head exploding, so they wanted to use it in the movie, so they used it in that scene. Um, but, I mean, clearly they leave remnants of that in there because he puts a gun to his head thinking he wants to kill himself before he makes a dash for it last minute, jumps on the helicopter, and... Off he and Fran goes to an uncertain future. But, um, like, it kind of seems a bit weird, though. Like, what decision-making process leaves you to, oh, we've been fighting for our survival for, like, three months, living in this mall. Oh, nah, I just want to die. Like, I yeah. mean, I just, it just, it baffles me that his decision no. is, go, leave. And she doesn't fight him. It's not like, no, Peter, I've fallen in love with you. You've got to come with me. She's just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, plus just... Why would he want to stay behind, like you said? I don't know. It, I really think that their alternate ending sounds like a better ending. Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't get why the heroes have to get away, especially since we're following up Night of the Living Dead, which is a very grim ending uh, where everybody dies. And, and we haven't seen Day of the Dead yet, but I'm going to assume that you know that's not one where the heroes get out. Or I'm also going to assume that we don't see Peter and Fran show up in Day of the Dead, you know, 10 years later, eight years later, whenever they made it, it really serves no purpose for this story to have them survive. And that ending sounds so effective, especially if I could imagine the way it would play out. And maybe this isn't the way it was scripted, but the way I imagine in my head is that, you know, he tells Fran, okay, go, go, go. You know how to fly this thing. And, you know, he stays behind. You are questioning it because you're questioning even just with this ending, like, why would he stay behind? You're still questioning it. She gets up there. She starts the helicopter and the helicopter, the fuel gauge reads almost zero. So you realize, OK, OK, the reason he wants to stay behind is because he knows they're not getting away. That would have made such a good ending. And then, yeah, they both take their own lives because they'd rather that than turn into one of these things. How amazing would it be if you had four heroes and two of them end up becoming zombies, and the other two end up taking their lives so they don't become zombies. That is the ending I would expect from the sequel to Night of the Living Dead. And I just, I don't think, I think the sequence is great, their escape. And, you know, uh, especially uh, the, the whole thing, like you said, with the false wall and the, the muscle memory, you know, how um, Stephen would have known about that. I love the way that was set up. You know, them barricading themselves in the room. It's a really fun sequence, but just escaping, I just don't get it. It, it just, it seems like it would have been so much better the other way. And you could have had it so, like, yeah, similar to what you're saying, and maybe this is, I guess, the implication you were saying, and I'm just dumb and I didn't pick up on it, but, like, it's kind of, 
Yeah, like he, they go into the helicopter, the fuel's nearly empty, and they know that if they have two people in the helicopter, it's going to be heavier. So it's like, no, Fran, you go. We can't both go with two of us. You can at least get to safety. You know, and he sacrifices himself or something like that. Um, even that, to me, would work all right. And the thing is, though, like with the whole suicide, you know, if that had happened... I mean, yeah, okay, Peter shooting himself, fair enough. But, like, if you want to kill yourself, do you really want to go out getting your head chopped off by helicopter planes? Like, yeah. I mean, if you, that... if you fuck that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're like you're the elephant woman. The half-faced mother of the only baby <laughs> left alive in Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um... Can I also yeah, mention th- something else that I don't think works about this? Sure. And maybe this is where, you know, there's, you read it up, there's debates about whether they ever intended for that ending to be done, uh, whether they ever shot it or not. It feels almost like a reshoot when Peter all of a sudden decides, no, I'm going to live. Just because of the music alone, like, why is the theme from the A-Team suddenly playing in a zombie movie? Like, that is the <laughs> worst hero music, the most inappropriate hero music. It, I was listening to it, and... I'm, and this, my wife's not even watching the whole movie with me. And I'm like, why are they doing something like the theme from the A-Team? And she's like, yeah. She honestly started humming the theme from the A-Team in unison with this. And it's almost identical. And I know the A-Team was years away. But it's so inappropriate for this scene. Uh, I, I, I couldn't tell you how the A-Team theme goes. So I wouldn't have noticed that. But uh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that with these zombies as well, the one that I didn't mention, there's that one walking around with a gun pointed at his head. Like, he's got that rifle. With the <laughs> gun pointed when, to his head. Where's the part in the movie where he... I don't even remember who he wrestles away from. Roger, Peter, Stephen... Where they wrestle the gun away, and then they just sit there staring at it, and the guy just sort of like slowly walks away, like okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but anyway, that's 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 it. That's that's Dawn of the Dead, nineteen seventy eight. They fly away into their uncertain future, and we don't know what happens to them because, again, I, yeah, I'm same as you. Are they in the next one? Probably not. Um, so I, let's I, make up an ending. She gives birth. Um, he marries her. They live happily ever after. They cure the zombie apocalypse and they're president and first lady <laughs> of the United States. There we go. <laughs> As the only two people left in the United States. Yeah. Uh, I also, we, we glossed over this, but I don't even know if you were aware of it or not. Uh, the guy who did the makeup effects and the, the special effects for this movie, Tom Savini, you know, he went on to become like basically a legend in this industry, you know, with all the Friday the 13th movie. I mean, he did a remake of uh, the Night of the Living Dead on his own, you know, as a director. But he's kind of—if you talk about like movie special effects makeup, he's one of the top three names that comes up. He's in this movie as one he's of the, the motorcycle lead guys, isn't he? Yeah, and I don't yeah. know if you recognize them. You know, I'm one of my favorite movies as a teenager growing up, and it's one of these movies that I would watch like three times in a row. Was from Dusk Till Dawn with George Clooney and Harvey Keitel. Mm-hmm. Did you ever see that one? Uh, no, I've never seen it, but I know what you're talking about. He's in that movie, too. So I'm looking at him like, hey, it's the guy from Dusk Till Dawn. Oh, yeah, and he also does movie effects. I don't know if he shows up in cameos and all these things, but it's kind of just a fun thing because I think he's kind of a personality that's taken on a life of its own, like George Romero. People like Tom Savini is a legend, and people will show up at Comic-Cons just to meet him. Wow, that's all I didn't know. That. I mean, I knew yeah, I was reading about the fact that he was... A biker, but given, you know, my knowledge of films like this and, you know, it doesn't compare to my knowledge of Veronica's Closet, I wasn't exactly <laughs> aware completely of all those uh, little little facts. But uh, just some other things about this film which I found interesting in just reading trivia sort of things like you were going on there. Like, I mean, 
they did film this in the mall, as I, I mentioned there in Pittsburgh, but they actually did all the filming sort of between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. because this was still a fully functioning mall. It's not like they, you know, went and got one of these abandoned malls and kind of, you know, turned it into that. And they basically had to shut down filming over the Christmas period because it was too expensive for them to keep removing the Christmas decorations every <laughs> night. Uh, so they just waited like the three weeks after Christmas or something along those lines. Um, so yeah, I, I found that, that fascinating little things like that. And, um, yeah, obviously the, the special effects, I mean, if you, if you do read on Dawn of the Dead on the Wikipedia page, there's a whole section here about the makeup and effects and the, the head explosion scene, which I was saying how they was initially meant to be for Fran's death and they used it for that guy getting his head blown off. They actually got like a head and like the fake head filled it with like food products and actually shot it with a real shotgun to explode it, to kind of have that effect that it has on screen. There's um, some good month-old bread in that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, the, and the blood was uh, mixed with peanut butter, I believe, and I think corn. So, I mean, I will say, like, the blood at certain points does not look real at all. But again, we shouldn't it's hold a, that yeah. against it because of, like, as we 1.5 million. <laughs> yeah, and like, I mean, look, I dabbled in filmmaking in college and clearly <laughs> I've gone into a hugely successful... Yeah, well, that too. And I mean, I we... Like, people are very familiar, if they're listening to this uh, and they went to college with me, uh, my fantastic sequel film that I did called Kill Phil and Kill Phil 2, um, based off the great Kill Bill franchise. And uh, we went through numerous ways of trying to make fake blood, which, um, if you watch on screen, some actually looks okay. Others have bubbles in it, so clearly somebody had blood clots when they got killed. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean... And I'm going to say, the blood that we made tasted like shit. In the first film, I get killed, and I had have blood in my mouth, and it was disgusting. So... <laughs> you need to put a clip on YouTube for all of our listeners. Oh, they're both on, they're both on YouTube. Both oh. Kill films are on YouTube, ladies and make sure to Make sure to send that out so we can see it. <laughs> they are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you are, are no honest. Tom Savini. <laughs> they, like, if, you know, people are forced to watch my Brink Unleashed films, uh, they at least have something going for them. These Kill Feel films? No. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah. Anyway, but, um, I mean, outside of everything we're talking about there, obviously the reception of this film, uh, universally acclaimed. I mean, it's 92% on Rotten Tomatoes to this day. Um, eighty eight point six out of ten. Uh, basically the the rating of it. Um, and often regarded as one of the greatest movies of all time. It was included in the five hundred greatest movies of all time by Empire Magazine in two thousand and eight. Uh, listed in the best one thousand movies ever made book published by the New York Times. Uh, James Charisma of Playboy ranked it the number ten on a film of fifteen sequels that were way better than the originals. I'm guessing oh oh, never mind i was thinking that was the remake um and entertainment weekly named it the 27th best uh cult film on their top 50 cult films list so there's a lot of lists it's on uh universally acclaimed obviously as we kind of were talking night of living dead it sort of you know launched a lot of genres and in terms of you know the zombie film and kind of you know increase it and of course there's a remake of this film you mentioned it earlier Zack snyder uh, you know, before he was out there with his DC movies, was making, uh, yeah, Dawn of the Dead, 2000. I've never seen it. Um, 
I was talking to Noah, uh, hashtag comeback Noah, uh, and he's, because uh, he actually, I will say, shout out to Noah, because he did message me, because uh, we clearly communicate with him a lot, because he said, you did Night of the Living Dead? That's like one of my favourite movies of all time. <laughs> um, and he was saying how he really likes the Dawn of the Dead, the remake as well. So as somebody who's obviously more of a fan of these films than we are, uh, he says that it's quite good. And it actually, the remake apparently does have cameos in it from Ken Faree, Scott Reiniger, and Tom Savini in it as well. So, yeah, that's... Uh, I don't know if you've got anything else to add on things that I was talking about there, Mr. Hilding, before we get into our ratings. Uh, no, just, you know, it's interesting if you read a lot of the reviews that came out at the time, you know, people are split the same as they were with Night of the Living Dead, where some people just thought it was too graphic... And it was just too in your face, and that was it was just shock value. Uh, you know, nowadays I don't think that reviewers would really say that because we've seen much worse things than this. But I think the movie deserves a lot of credit for being the first to do that. You know, this was Saw before there was Saw, and I think it did it in a much more clever way. And uh, I think for the most part, critics really got that. Like you said, this is probably not only considered to be George Romero's greatest movie if if you were to pull. George Romero fans on what's his greatest movie, I would guarantee you'd probably get this one coming up more than Night of the Living Dead. Um, if you go all around, what's the greatest zombie movie, even people who aren't George Romero fans will probably say 1978 Dawn of the Dead. And there's a reason why this was the one that they picked, you know, for Zack Snyder's remake and not the others, because it, it, it perfectly lends itself to being a big budget movie and it did not a low budget. So, I mean, the movie definitely broke a lot of ground back in the day. Uh, as far critics reviews, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's the exact same thing as Night of the Living Dead. I mean, it's it's either for you or it's not for you. So uh, it's not really surprising the acclaim it has now, though, because we have seen much worse things, and it kind of makes sense that nowadays people are going to say one of the five hundred greatest films of all time, one of the greatest sequels ever made. The great Leslie Halliwell of uh, the Halliwell's Film Guide, um, he called this movie occasionally laughable, otherwise sickening or boring. Uh, <laughs> boring boring apparently um you know i i do find it funny though that if you look through the reviews again you don't have what you had with night of the dead with everybody trying to find these you know parallels to politics and social issues and everything and that kind of goes along with my theory with the first one where i really don't think that george romero had any plans with that because here he is 10 years later it's not like there's any shortage of hot topics that you can make this about. You know, if 1968 is controversial, 1978 certainly is too. And what he made here with more of a budget and with more creative control was basically just like gloriously entertaining shallowness. Like it is a shallow movie. It's not complicated or political in any way. Uh, it's just a fun zombie movie. And there is some depth to it, but I mean, this clearly shows he didn't have some master plan to you know, speak on all the the uh, travesties in the world. I think you've got a zombie apocalypse happening in Winnipeg. I hear the sirens coming there. Colin, everything yeah. okay? <laughs> uh, just, um, you know, just put uh, Casper in the oven again, have you, or something like that? Or Crash test dummies just finished and people... Oh, are right. <laughs> right. <laughs> in Winnipeg, of course. Um, just also quickly before we get to our ratings, uh, our Fab Four, uh, all four of them, at least at the time of recording, this is still alive. Um, David Emge, who we didn't really mention too much, uh, Stephen, uh, he's still alive and kicking. He's actually, after this film, he's only went on to be in two more, according to Wikipedia, again, it could be different on IMDb, but, um, he was, his first film was called The Booby Hatch, something I want to see, uh, but then he was in Dawn of the Dead, Basket Case 2, and Hellmaster, 
Galen Ross. IMDb confirms that. And if you look at the years, it took 12 years for him to make anything after Dawn of the Dead. Well, that's what happens when you get a kid and it takes a while to recover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Ross, again, according to Wikipedia, she was only in two more things after this. She was in Mad Men, uh, as in the movie, not the TV show, yeah. and Creep Show. Um, and Scott Ryan, uh, he was in a few, and he, I mean, he was in Dawn of the Dead. He played the general in the remake. But obviously, our, our good mate, Ken Faree, he's uh, obviously gone on to such great things. Of course, we mentioned uh, Keenan and Kel. He was in an X-Files episode, according to this. Uh, he was also in Halloween, um, Shaun of the Dead, uh, and he was also in Jojo Dancer, Your Life is Calling, in 1986. So there's one that we got to cover. Uh, he's Perfect. been in a lot of things. He's Do been Veronica's a busy man. Closet. Well, No, no Veronica's Closet, sadly. <laughs> um, that was his un- uncredited cameo. <laughs> How'd you be if we looked at this and he legitimately was in Veronica's Closet? <laughs> Then we would have been like, it was all a plan, people. It was all tied in. We knew yeah, what we, we were talking him on the about. Show now. Segway, people. Segway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to segue right into our ratings. Uh, so, of course, if you're tuning in for the first time, we have our rating system featuring 117 options, including buy it because we love it, we want to keep it, rent it because we want to keep Blockbuster Video alive, bin it because it was shit, uh, watch it and notice the lamp on the table, um, Rent it, don't watch it again, um, watch it through your neighbor's window, um, lots of things. Um, and you do a lot of stuff through your neighbor's window. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Um, I've, you know, just doing the whole Peter Parker, Mary Jane. Um, but, Colin, let's stick to our three ones. Uh, what, what are you doing with this? Are you buying it, renting it, or binning it? You know, there are moments in this, and again, I bought this before having ever seen it. I, I paid less than I would have paid renting it, but still, I still bought it because I enjoyed the first one enough. It is so different from the first, and when I originally saw this 10 years ago, I enjoyed it. I, I said at the beginning of this, I remembered nothing about this movie. So I don't know if it's as, as memorable as Night of the Living Dead. I think Night of the Living Dead is more of a memorable movie. Uh, this one... It's definitely more entertaining. Like, there's no boring moments start to finish. There were moments in this movie where I was feeling like this is more of a renter than it is a buy it, just because I don't feel like I was compelled to watch it. But the more we talk about the movie, the more I'm like, wow, that was really, like, we're starting to realize how smart this movie was (laughs) when we didn't realize it earlier. Uh, Some of us can't articulate it. But uh, especially when you start to realize why George Romero is doing this weird balance with the comedy and the horror I think it starts to make a lot more sense. So I would have said halfway through this movie, rent it. Uh, having watched the whole thing and really getting the whole thing, I'd probably say buy it. Well, I'm buying it. And I didn't think I would buy it because, I mean, again, I had no expectations going into this film. And kind of, you know, the first 10 or so minutes in when everything's... And I, I'm just dumb bum, don't know what's going on. I'm like, what the fuck am I getting into here? But it's just as soon as we I start getting... I a woman having an orgasm on a tag rug. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I mean, just the, when we get into the Fab Four and just like just the connection you get with them and you just really kind of are rooting for all of them, even when they turn evil. And it's, just, it's weird how it all happens. But um, yeah, this is, this is definitely a film that I would buy and I feel like I would gladly watch this again. I mean, I only rented Night of the Living there, but I, I would easily watch it's just more of an entertainment factor as well so um yeah i i'm surprised that i would i kind of went into all three of these films thinking like yeah you know i'm more of a veronica's closet fan than a horror movie <laughs> fan so i probably wouldn't buy any of these but you know i'm actually buying one of these so you know you've got to got to save my veronica's closet download money uh one week and purchase this instead just just on that note really quickly we did post during the week 
uh we've reached a hundred rankings now of our of our films um and we put up a little statistic in terms of where we're at in terms of our buy it rent it some binets and film obviously and, our numbers film and tv Film and TV, yes, combined. And obviously, uh, you know, when it comes to it, our numbers are a little bit higgledy-piggledy because, you know, there's more than 100 ratings, but you obviously know that sometimes we have three people on an episode, you know, two people on episodes. So you've got to multiply that. But um, as noted in that po- post on our Facebook page, you can find us at the Oz Network, uh, our buy-its are very much high. <laughs> our rent-its are slightly behind, and we've hardly had any binnets at all. So, Colin, we really need to start watching more of... Uh, uh, some shit stuff, you know, Impractical oh. Jokers, uh, Veronica's Closet. I'm a blind. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we need to start catching up on the red screen, I feel. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, it's, it's partly what you're covering, too. I mean, we, just to get a feel for, you know, this show and what we wanted the formats to be like, we picked stuff we were familiar with. Those aren't going to be Bennett's, unless it was Spider-Man 3. Um, and here we're doing movies that are considered classics, whether we're familiar with them or not, it's not as likely, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll you know, let's start watching garbage that nobody wants to listen to a podcast on and we'll get more binnets. <laughs> we'll probably get more happy. listeners that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, anyway, there we go. We're, we're two thirds of the way in of our, uh, living dead trilogy. So we have day of the dead to go. Now, uh, I, I know basically nothing about Day of the Dead. I'm assuming it's set on a day and there's dead people. Um, I have, so you mentioned you've never seen this one either, right? No. And it's funny because I got Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, and I remember at the time I watched both of those. Well, I had seen Night of the Living Dead prior to that. And I thought about, oh, maybe I should get Day of the Dead now because I really enjoyed these two. And I started reading up on it, and... And I don't know if opinions have changed because now you read Bob and people have some positive things to say. But 10 years ago when I was reading up on this, it didn't seem like a lot of people were very positive on it. Maybe it was just in comparison to the first two. Who knows? But I just remember being kind of down on the thought of watching it because oh, it was a troubled production. It wasn't like, you know, George Romero had a blast making it. Uh, and then I guess a lot of the reviews were like, yeah, it's not the best. But the opinions have turned around on it, so maybe it will be good. But it's de- it's going to be my first time watching this, even though I was familiar with the first two. So I'm going into it completely blind. Um, I've seen even the fourth film in the series, Land of the Dead, and have never seen this one. But we're stopping at three, right? Or are we just we'll stop at three? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how many are there in this, this Six. season? Six. Yeah. It's okay. Right. We're just doing fifty percent because we're lazy. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, ain't nobody got time for that. And we've got um, to get two people yeah bloody hell like come on it's good priorities here people exactly uh so stay tuned for that uh we kind of said at the end of night of living dead that we'd do this one a week later but it's obviously been two weeks later but hey look you know it's it's a hard life not having a job let's ask colin um <laughs> but the canada games were on people all right they're important yeah. You know, Canada's in them. They might win stuff. They actually have. Uh, but stay tuned. We've obviously got a lot of great stuff coming up. Colin, you've obviously got an Atomic Blonde review coming up, which sounds like you you and Jamie enjoyed that one. Yeah. Yeah. It was a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, it'll be a fun one to listen to because we have some good complaints about the movie. All right. And uh, it's also... It's always good to have the good complaints. 
also looking at doing uh, The Big Sick as well, which is out in cinemas at the moment. So a few sort of just uh, side reviews there. But in terms of our recaps, of course, Third Watch and Nip Tuck are continuing on this week. We obviously do have Australian Survivor coverage for those who are enjoying the current season of Australian Survivor. Colin, is The Amazing Race Canada still a thing at the moment, or have you and Rossi just died, or what's going no, on? No, we had a non-elimination leg last time, so no sense in... We're, we're, we're grouping the two episodes together this week. Okay, well, stay tuned for that as well, and uh, plenty of content to come. If you've got any comments about these, about how great Veronica's closet is, um, I don't know, hashtag looting, uh, what was it, Century People Club or whatever the fuck it was, <laughs> if you want to join that. Uh, we remember our jokes, people. We just we just die halfway through. Uh, the Oz Network on Facebook. You can also follow us on uh, Twitter. We have a YouTube page, which we never update, but you can still go there anyway if you want. But uh, iTunes is the best place to go. Subscribe. Leave us feedback. We would love to hear some thoughts on what you think of the show. Even if it's a one-star review, this is shit. I'm only leaving this review because you told me to. I will gladly accept that. So will Colin. We all will. Um, if you're not on iTunes, Stitcher, I think you can rate on Stitcher, can't you, Colin? I don't use it. I've, <laughs> I've never tried to. I'll try. I mean, tomorrow. how good is Stitcher? We're so glad to be on Stitcher. What a great service it is for Android. I'm users. going to go on Stitcher right now and rate us. Let me see. One. There we go. (laughs) And uh, Spotify. Stream it. You can do that too. Uh, But we've had a lot of fun doing this episode. Thank you for tuning into the Oz Network. My name is Ben, and I guess we can forget about Canada, right? And my name is Colin, and I've been Kill Phil Volumes 1 and 2. Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.